It's time. Living Paranormal. Real stories. Real investigators. No scripts. From legends to hauntings. My name is Rob. And I'm Jason. And welcome to Living Paranormal. Guys, great to be back after our little two-week hiatus. It just kind of uh, spun right by, man. But we're thrilled to be back on the air with you guys, with our uh, loyal fans, our loyal haters, and all of those that fall between. <laughs> Jason, how's everything gone for you the last couple weeks, buddy? It's gone all right, man. It's gone all right. Uh, I saw my son for a little bit, and he's going through some crazy things at school. But, you know, new school, middle school, is crazy for anybody, but then let alone a child with disabilities, it makes things kind of a little extra layer of complexity there. But outside of that, everything's actually been okay. What about yourself? How's things going on with you? Uh, well, yeah, surgery went well. As uh, those of you who listen oh, yeah. most of the time, uh, you know, I had knee surgery a week ago Monday, and it went well. Um, I still have a kneecap. My leg is still attached. So we're going to call that one a win. And if I sound a little out of it tonight, guys, I am going to apologize to you because I'm on some very, very good pain medication to be allowed to set up and actually enjoy some time with you guys. So if I get a little too loopy or wacky, I hope you'll overlook things for us. If you're listening to us live as we go and enjoying the amazing chat room that we always have, you are tuned in to www.livingparanormal.com forward slash live. This is the home of our weekly broadcast. It'll be coming every Wednesday night from 8.30 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. Eastern Standard or Eastern Daylight Time, as the case is now. That's 7.30 Jason time, as we like to call it, because he still can't do math. <laughs> so, Numbers are where hard, else yeah. can they hear us at? Well, if you want to listen to our archive copy of our shows, you can catch us over at livingparanormal.com. Just click on past shows, and uh, you can even search for any topic you'd like. Bidfoot, Sheep Squatch is a light bringing up because it's hilarious, and I cannot believe that. Um, also, um, Sex with Ghosts with Patty Negri. We had just talked about that yeah. in the pre-show chatter. We've even done a thing on that, which is crazy, wild, and funny, and neat. I think it was a really neat show. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, all different kinds of things. It was really, really interesting, but you can find that over at livingparanormal.com. Now, if you want to catch the live show and you uh, are wondering, you know, when when do I know when the shows are coming out? Well, find us over at facebook.com slash Living Paranormal Show. Don't forget to add the word show to the end of that. Otherwise, we're not responsible where you head off to. Rob was fond of saying the land of flying toasters and rainbow kittens. So you never know where you're going to end up on the Internet these days. <laughs> well, it's kind of supposed to be funny, I guess. I don't know. It worked out that way. <laughs> <laughs> but with that being said, guys, we'd like to welcome to the show tonight a gentleman by the name of Mr. Matt Haas. Now, uh, Matt and uh, his associate partner, Tim, actually had me on their show a while back. And uh, I got talking to him after the second time I was on. And I was like, you know what? I'd love to have you guys on when we get restarted. You know, and, um, you know, Matt and Tim both, who you'll actually get to meet Tim next week, by the way. Same bad mm -hmm. time, same bad channel. Um we had a very good discussion, very lively talk about the paranormal the first time. We had a good roundtable discussion the second time through, and that kind of keyed the interest in this show. So um, before we go into the topics of what we're going to be discussing tonight, Matt, I'd like to welcome you to Living Paranormal. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. I'm, uh, you know, uh, rocking and rolling. I'm ready to go here to have fun. Thanks for inviting me, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. 
No, no problem. Glad to have you. I'm just saying, I don't know what bet you lost to come on here, but I am so glad you did. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> on. We certainly appreciate it. I know you had Rob on the show earlier, and I figured you just, you're a glutton for punishment. You wanted to be around him a little bit more. I know what it's like. <laughs> I think at this point, it's hard for me to let go. In other words, help me. Someone please help me. But either way. I, 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 no, I just I want to mention that uh, the roundtable discussion that we had, Rob, on our show was really, really great. It was an in-depth conversation with just, you know, a whole bunch of topics about the paranormal. Like we touched a, a little bit about it, everything, and it was just oh, yeah. such a, it was such a lively conversation. I'm surprised nobody like really, you know, like choked somebody during that thing. But <laughs> <laughs> right, and, and I would not recommend having Jason on for one of the roundtables because he's playing off to be nice and reserved as he is right now. But I've heard this guy get fired up over some really, really stupid little things, and <laughs> just saying you may want to have him on your show just separately. I was just, um, okay. I, the only reason he's saying that, Matt, is because out of the two of us, I'm the one that actually like put a priest on in the hot seat when he came on to our show one time and I still haven't lived that down apparently, but you know what? It's fine. He's fine. He's actually a really good friend of the show still. And I still talk to him every once in a while when he hears my confession. So, um, either way, I do. Bless you, my son. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something around those lines. But we actually have running bets on how many times Jason can make him drop his Bible during a confession. So, <laughs> yeah, nice. no, it's it's uh, it's it's always a fun time in the confessional booth when I'm there. But then, uh, so thank you so much for coming on once again. Now, the the greatest thing about this, guys, is that. Uh, one thing that people do in this industry when we have our own shows or when we're uh, otherwise our guests like entertainers and authors, they send a bio. And I was reading through Matt's bio because I like to read these, these things as much as possible beforehand. Uh, and, and one of the things that struck me was uh, in your bio, Matt, you, you mentioned, and I hope you don't mind me uh, uh, referencing this so heavily, but in your bio, you actually mentioned a lot of reading. You mentioned that you actually went through several, you, you poured through books and reading. Would you say that was your, your, your initial foundation for learning about the paranormal? Was that how you initially got interested in it? Well, basically, when I was a kid, uh, when I was a young age, when I was in school, I remember just reading a lot of books about Bigfoot, UFOs, extraterrestrial. Um, anytime I got a chance to go to the library, even at the school library, I would always be in the paranormal section, um, you know, metaphys- metaphysical section, you know, whatever, whatever it was called back then, because it was still kind of on the taboo side right. uh, when, I, when I was younger. So it wasn't as open you know, dis- discussed as open as it is now. But, um, yeah, I when I was younger, I, I was definitely into a lot of books. And believe it or not, when I was young, uh, I was a big fan of Carl Sagan. Um, Carl oh, yeah. Sagan was the man back in the day. Absolutely. Uh, I used to rent the uh, the Cosmos, uh, you know, docu- docu-series that he used to do. And um, I was totally into, you know, his his whole universe there. Um, he was a big inspiration uh, as to, you know, what books that I would get into. And um, I wouldn't say that he was the one that actually, you know, propelled me to go further into a more serious side of it. But, right. um, yeah, I when I was a kid, it was more so when I was a kid. I don't have, like, much time to really read these days. But. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> no kidding. I think man. it's a common ailment among us as we get older with work, and uh, especially when you do what we do with the paranormal investigations, late nights, running teams. Uh, 
hosting talk shows, uh, it, it, it builds up over time. Or really, the, you get busy. The biggest time sink of all evidence review that, Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. oh I'm like, I'm like two cases behind. I'm like, I need help reviewing. <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean, man. It's crazy. It's yeah. wild. But what's funny is that when you talk about this and, and, uh, you were a child of the eighties, correct? You're, you're like yeah. me, a child of the eighties. It's funny yeah. because when you met people like us back then, we had all this information and knowledge about ghosts because we were reading it in books. We went to the library and we read it and mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Or we went to a, a store like a blockbuster where they had, and get this kids, they actually had a store you could go to that had DVDs and in our cases, VHS tapes that you could yeah. rent out. <laughs> yeah. I used to VHS. work with one. Yeah. <laughs> I used to work at a, at a VHS rental store, and I, I don't know how I'm going to explain that to my child when he's older and he asked me what I did for a living when I was a kid. But, I mean, it's wild. But the thing is, is that when you encountered people like us, and I know Rob was this way as well, that took time to go to the library, research, and read, we had this wealth of information about the paranormal that was hard to come by. It was hard-earned education. It was hard-earned information. Nowadays, kids have access to all these phones, and and they have access to YouTube Google. and all this information. And it's beautiful that we have all this data. But do you feel that the modern-day kids are losing out a little bit on something, that a bit of mystique that you get that you kind of got? I actually have a little pet peeve with uh, modern technology and kids that I think they're totally spoiled when it comes to technology. Right. Um, you know, like when we had – like you were saying, when we had to learn – uh, as kids, we had to go. We had a hard time finding books in in this particular subject. I remember actually being afraid to ask the librarian when you have books on Bigfoot. <laughs> oh right, right. You know, and they would look at you like, "What?" <laughs> it's like I'm looking yeah. for Satan. Can you help yeah. me out? <laughs> <laughs> you know, where is the summoning like, circle? Do we get out of my library. That? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I had that one librarian I would always go up to because we had a, a kind of – we understood each other. She knew I read weird books, and I knew she knew where to find them. So I'd always right. go and and, uh, and bother her. But after a while, when you frequent a library, you memorize the layout of the library. You're like, okay, I'm going to go over to where the ghosts are, which are always strangely kept in the occult section right next to the world religion. Like it was always yeah. right next – like if you went too far, you saw there's a Bible in the Quran. Oh, nope, let me go back. Let me go back. I'm looking for something else. But mm-hmm. it's funny how they always put those things there. It was, it's just weird but, and wild to me. But they were really hard to find because, you know, it's like what section do you look for it in, you know, like yeah. back in the day? You know, and the one librarian was like, I think spiritual. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> or they take you over to all those books that were the fiction kids, teen reads that were about ghosts. They're like, no, 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 I'm not looking for R.L. Stein or, yeah. or yeah. Uh, uh, what was the other one? Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for real ghosts. And they look at you yeah. kind of nonplussed, yeah. wondering what you're talking about. Yeah. But yep. yeah. Yeah, yeah man. not Stephen King. Although I love Stephen King, but not right. Stephen King. Yeah, <laughs> the, now is not the time for that. I'm re- I'm reading about real things. Can you help me yes. out here? <laughs> Absolutely. Did you ever have a really weird find at like a school library, and you wondered to yourself, "What is this book doing here? I can't believe they have this book, but it's amazing." Did you ever have one of those? Um, uh, uh, not that I can recall. I mean, I mean, this is like you know a long time ago, but. I I, re- I probably had one or two, but I can't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> what about you, Rob? You ever have one of those finds where you find a book that's weird? Because I do. Uh, this is a loaded question because I'm totally ready to go with an answer. Yeah, he, you can see him chomping at the bit, by the way, guys. But, <laughs> you know, it, I, I'm kind of with Matt. It's been so long, and I went through so many books and read so many different titles. And um, I kind of blame that for me having glasses now as I spent so much time reading in low light because I didn't really want a lot of people to see what I was reading because of the stigma at the time. 
Um, but off the top of my head, no, I can't think of any that just really completely floored me. Uh, what was it you read, Jason? The little engine that could? Well, <laughs> well, Rob, I'm glad you asked. No, I, um, it freaked me out because I went to the, my middle school library of all places, and I found this book called Out of the Cauldron. I don't know if you all have read it. And I'll never forget this book because I checked it out repeatedly. I think I was the only one to check it out, and I checked it out every week I could when I was at the school. It's a, it has a pink cover on it that has like um, a, a, a relief drawing of witches around a cauldron, and it spirals out from the middle. And it was a really cool book. But what I really liked about it was it actually had spells and partial confessions from witches that were that were they were extracted from witches during interrogation. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I thought it was a really great book and a really great find. And I found that at my middle school library of all places. I was like, okay, That's this crazy. is the coolest library in the world that it has this book, but apparently like, I was the only one that checked like it out. Like actual spells? Yeah, actual <laughs> spells. Like they wow. would say like um one of the spells for whatever reason, like I read this book so many times. Like one of the spells was supposedly a woman was tried for witchcraft and executed. And the spell that she was convicted of trying was a rain summoning spell where she would take a wet rag and she would wet it and she would knock it against the rock in an act of sympathetic magic, what we would call it now. And Mm -hmm. she would say, I knock this rag upon the stone to raise the wind in the devil's name and it shall not lie until I please again. Mm. And I was like, that's a really interesting little rhyme. And I liked it because it rhymed and it was neat. It was kind of a little poetic <laughs> license to it. But then the part of me that had been reading all these wood books about witchcraft and things of that nature knew that it was kind of a fabrication because witches don't believe in the devil. Like, why is this witch suddenly like, you know, as right. far as if, if they're a true pagan witch, they don't necessarily believe in a Judeo-Christian devil. So I thought that was really interesting. But yeah, things like that. And they had like magical squares of words that if you wrote them down in a square type formation, it was the word Sator, Aripo, Tenet, Opera, Rotus, which are Latin words. If you wrote those in a square up and down, evenly spaced, it will read Sator, Aripo, Tenet, Opera, Rotus, it would read that and the way. the translation on that is to actually be kind, rewind. I know, right? Just well, it's funny you say that because you can read it fast forward. You can read it forward, backwards, up, and down in that square. So, and, sounds like something from the movie The Evil Dead. I know, right? Klaatu, <laughs> Verata, <laughs> Nick too. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, but I was just wondering about that. Because, back to olden times. I know. <laughs> No, but it was funny because I, I noticed you said that in your bio that you uh, uh, that you had read so much, and I was like, "That's that's a kindred spirit there," because I know what you mean, and that hard earned education is so hard. But aside yeah. from the aside from the book readings, how else did you? What piqued your your interest in the in the paranormal? Um, basically, um, I, like I said, I always had an interest when I was a young age. I, you know, when you're a kid and you have experiences, you just kind of brush them off because when you're young, you don't know what to make of those things and. You know, you're just kind of like, all right, whatever, you know. Um, my family wasn't really open-minded about discussing those things either. Like I said, it was kind of tabooish to talk about uh, back in that day. And um, I actually had a really uh, bad car accident, I believe, around uh, the late 90s. And that's the time where I really started questioning my beliefs and that there's definitely something unusual going on out there that – uh, there's experiences that I can't explain, and I would say the the pinnacle point of my life that I decided to go down a more serious road to do some more serious research, and I started looking around and joined my first group before I ventured off to do my own thing. I think I joined my first group like around 2000, around the millennium, okay. and then 
couple of years after that, learned enough to do my own thing, learned that, that that group wasn't really for me. It wasn't the road I wanted to go down with them and did my own thing from there. And here I am now. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. You mentioned you had some experiences, paranormal experiences. What were some of your first paranormal experiences that you had? If you don't mind sharing. If I yeah, can no, sh- no, sure. Um, well, we, I think a lot of us have always kind of dabbled with like the Ouija board and stuff. And as many people don't believe in the Ouija board, um, I, I do believe that like it's it's plastic and cardboard. And I'm more of a skeptical believer right. these days than, than I used to be. Um, but we were teenagers and I had a friend over, you know, hanging out and we're like, All right, you know, let's mess around with the board and whatever. And, you know, we pull it out. We start messing around, having some fun with the board, asking questions. Nobody was around. I think uh, my mother was like passed out cold in bed and my sister was out somewhere i don't know it was a quiet night so and we're just like kind of hanging out doing the thing with the Ouija board i had these like really thick uh like candles they were like those like really thick candle holders that like over an inch you know so it's like oh right really yeah i don't know what they're what they were called but i used those and they were on the Ouija board and we were sitting on my bed and I had my windows down. I remember in my bedroom, there's only two windows and my room had the like kind of wood, like wooden uh, panel look all around the room. Cause that was like kind of the thing back then. Totally know what um, you're talking about. I totally had <laughs> right. that room. I feel like. It's where if you, if you slipped and tripped and you scraped your arm against the wall, you got a splinter or two on the way yeah. down. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I've been yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, Flashbacks. <laughs> so I remember asking a couple of, we started asking a couple of questions. And all of a sudden, like, big, huge gust of wind just, like, came out of nowhere. Knocked the board off the bed, knocked the candles on the floor. And I have a really thick rug in my bedroom. And when I picked the candles up off the floor, because I was afraid of, like, the candles catching fire. Right, yeah. Totally. I was like, oh, shit. I'm like, my mother's going to kill me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you had that shag carpeting back in the day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Six inches thick and you couldn't vacuum to save your soul. Yeah. Except so, for that one yeah. spot where you drop the Elmer's glue and it solidified into a solid mass. Or, <laughs> anyway, sorry. Anyway, go no, you know what, Jason? Your mom is sitting here going, I knew he did that. I know, right? <laughs> you know? I promise, Mom, you know? the dog peed after he ate some glue. That wasn't me, I promise. But either way. And, and if my mother's listening now, she knows what I did with the candles. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But yeah. I'm sorry. We interrupted you. I apologize. That's oh, what you were saying. Right. So I, I found the candles broken on the floor, on, on a rug, and they didn't bounce off of anything. They just went from the bed to the floor. And it wasn't really that far of a distance for those things to break. They're pretty thick. And for the wind to just, like, enter the room like that, right. I, like, vents, I know, blow air and stuff. Even as a kid, like, logically, I'm like, well, I know I have one vent in my bedroom, but there's no way that vent is blowing freaking air like that. Yeah. And um, it scared the shit out of us. And... I didn't really, like I said, I was a kid. I didn't really think anything of it. So the only thing I can remember is that we were scared shitless and didn't sleep the whole night. Yeah, man, I don't blame you. That's really cool. That's really. What about your other friends that were there during the Ouija board uh, instance? Did they ever use the Ouija board ever again? Did they let you? You know, I've never really spoken to them. It's been like years. It's like uh, an old friend from, from high school and you know it's just like friends that you just kind of like stayed as friends during school time and then after that you grow apart but yeah i got you. um yeah i never really heard anything as far as that that's no. cool i was just curious yeah. yeah but as far as the ouija board goes i mean it is cardboard and plastic but i do not recommend using it because 
I think there are other things that can contribute to other experiences, such as from a psychological point of view, right. if you're using it, it could freak you out or just all different kinds of things. Well, this is kind of going into our topic, though, and I know Rob and I have discussed this extensively also on the on another Actually, show that yeah. we have been on, was that Paranormal Underground that we were on and we had that conversation? Uh, no, it was, uh, yeah, Paranormal Underground. We actually were asked to come in and debate, of all people, Robert Murch, who is the mm. foremost authority on the Ouija board as well as to the tipping tables. And, uh, I mean, he goes very, very far back with this. If there's an expert in the field, that would be him. And right. it, it, it was quite an interesting show and an interesting time to get to actually talk to Robert. He was a very cordial, very... Understanding, I guess you could say, of mine yeah. and Jason's view on it, and I was actually thrilled that he, you know, was so open and welcoming to our questions and our concerns. So, just throwing a shout out to him, by the way. So, yeah, no, totally. Robert Murphy's a really cool guy. But the, but the one thing I was going to ask you about this one, Matt, was so: Do you feel that it can legitimately be used as a tool to communicate the other side? I mean, understanding that it's plastic, cardboard, or what have you. Here's my take on it, because again, I'm a skeptical believer, but I do believe that there are forces in nature that that's out there that we can't explain. Um, I think that the board can be used as a conduit as well as the person. And I think that there's something already there surrounding the environment and you're conjuring something that's already there. I think it can attach itself to either the person or the board. And I don't think the board is actually opening up portals or anything like that because it's just an object made out of cardboard and plastic, but it could be used as an object and a tool for communicating and then, therefore, it could attach itself to the board because you gave it permission to communicate with you through the board. That makes sense. That's my take. That's yeah. my take. No, I can see that. I mean, it's yeah. letters and there's a pointer. That's the most convenient way to communicate with anybody at that point. So it makes sense that they'd right. be able to use that at, that at that instance. But, And that was similar to the take that I took on that. When our conversation with Robert Merch, it was like – it's a it's a game. It's made by yeah. Hasbro. You know what I mean? But I mean, mm-hmm. well, now the now the current version is made by Hasbro, but this goes back much farther than any of the gaming companies oh, right. sure. have worked yeah, with totally. it. I mean, so and I kind of understand the, the take that that you both have, but I've had so many cases that revolve around at least the initiation of the case started with the use of an Ouija board that I put a little more, I guess you could say, uh, stock into its effectiveness as far as a conjuring tool or at least a communication device than some other investigators will. I guess the standard theory that I have on it is when in doubt, get the hell out. Don't use it if there's any doubt that it could be something that could have a major ramification or repercussion to you. And, you know, I kind of spoke to Robert that when we were talking about this, I'm like, you know, this is something to me that is like living in New York City. You live downtown like in the Bronx, not exactly the nicest neighborhood, and you're leaving your door wide open and saying, whoever's there, come in and talk to me. Well, you could get a priest that's walking down the street, but you could also get Crackhead Johnny. And you're kind of leaving yourself available at that point. So that's the caution that I always put behind something. If you have any faith or belief in it working then definitely be careful. But I wanted to point something out, Jason. I didn't know if you caught this or not. A little bit earlier when we were talking about the books and you mentioned the book that you were looking at into witchcraft, Eric in the chat room pointed out, pink cover and witches, hmm, I think I know what he was checking it out for. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Eric knows me a little too well. No, I, yeah, it was, it was, it was fascinating. You know, it's yeah. funny because now we're talking about Ouija boards and he says, just use a wood floor, carve the board into the floor and use the bed as the shuttle. I need help. <laughs> I know. Well, you can really make, you can make it a Ouija board out of anything. I yeah, mean, totally. um, absolutely. That poltergeist case in England, that girl made up her own little concoction out of this little piece of cardboard and I think she used 
crayons or something to yeah. like to make up the letters and stuff. So you can well, make Eric, it out of anything. Eric has a really good point. Uh, more belief equals more effect, and, and that's a very true point that we see with a lot of the paranormal. And I've, I've quoted that often when people ask me if I believe in practices such as Wicca or Voodoo or. Anything in that nature. I believe if you have a strong enough belief that something is going to affect you, that it that it can, you actually empower it yourself. So whether it be an Ouija board, whether it be a, a, a voodoo doll, whether it be a curse, whether it be a spell, an incantation, whatever. I hate all the dolls, by the way. Sorry. I hate all <laughs> dolls. I'm just saying all dolls. You can keep them all. Not a big fan. <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind dolls. I don't mind dolls at all, especially the really expensive well, he, ones. Anyway, he, 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 he dated one for 20 years. <laughs> they just... You know, the ones that look really creepy creep me out. <laughs> yeah, the ones that are, like, intentionally creepy, don't, they totally they totally creep me out. Have you seen Harold the Doll? I have, yes. Yeah. yeah not not in person, but on TV. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that was really creepy. It's funny because we had on the gentleman that actually owns the doll, and while we're putting the picture of the doll up on our video stream, that one time we got it to work during the live stream, we uh, put up yeah. the picture, and he says, yeah, and people that are actually able to see the picture sometimes even complain about being assaulted by the doll. And we're like, well, now you tell us. I have the thing up on our screen right now. <laughs> Just endangered so our entire audience. Protocol. We could, yeah, we could have actually put up a disclaimer or something saying, hey, you know, you might be affected with this <laughs> yeah, yeah no kidding yeah. totally yeah. but you threw a word out there matt that i thought was really interesting and it's a word that we have used here as well and i'd like to get your take on it and forgive sure. me because i know that you covered it on the episode in which you had rob on um because i did hear that episode as well as a few other episodes and by the way i have to say great show i like your show Thank i really you. enjoy Thank it but the one yes, thing, Jason, that's what a professional sounds like. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. Yeah, I took Although notes. I'm not, I'm not very professional. I'm not a good role model at all. <laughs> <laughs> Does your I've show people for years, Matt, that I, I'm a perfect example of a bad example. If you want to know what not to do, just follow me around for a day. You'll figure it out really quick. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But either way, <laughs> the one question or term I was going to ask you about, define what you feel skeptical believer means because i think it, it, it means something different for all of us that call, that call ourselves skeptical believers what does that term mean to you i've just had so many experiences throughout my life that i know i can't explain by any means not scientifically yet i know that science has yet to allow us to prove by scientific means that this is going on so that's kind of my take on it but i also call myself a skeptical believer because when I approach investigations, I feel you should approach investigations from a skeptical point of view. That's, totally. You know, Absolutely. I believe, but when I approach an investigation, I'm there to investigate the claims and the reports and that's it. So I try to keep my own beliefs outside of my investigation. Totally. Trying to fight that confirmation bias that we all fight against as investigators. Totally. Which is, which is very hard to do. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, Absolutely. Only can be. Yeah, Kim was like, mm-hmm, Jason, 20 years. Yeah, I've known Rob for about 20 years already. That's crazy. I guess you don't know Wait, about no, she's that She's talking yet, about the doll, by the way, not me. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, that's what I meant. And, unless, unless you had a Rob doll, then we got to talk once the show is over. <laughs> I like it better no. when you don't talk, Rob, and you just sit there. Anyway, so... <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> so either way, Rob, going to, taking that same question to you, what does skeptical believer mean to you? You know, I take a very similar approach, actually, to, to what Matt mentioned. I believe that if you're a skeptical believer, you do believe that there are things out there that we cannot explain through a scientific theory, scientific measure, scientific testing at this point. But there are many things that if we go in with a very 
blind belief and everything that the client tells us is true, everything that happens in here is going to be a ghost, and everything to you is going to be a spirit. There's going to be no debunking. There's going to be no defrauding whatsoever. You're going to accept everything as the true and you know humble gospel, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And once again, the confirmation bias is one of the hardest things that we deal with because you know when you've been doing this as long as we have, and I, and I know I'm 32 years for myself now, Jason, you're well over 20 years. Right. Uh, and Matt, I'm assuming you've been in quite a long time as well. Mm-hmm. We've seen so much; it's easy for us to become jaded to, oh, I saw this happen in a, in a case nine years ago, so it has to be something similar, and it could be something completely unrelated. So it's very hard to keep that skeptical eye out there, which is why I love having a skeptic on the team. If you have a skeptic on the team, then you've got somebody that's going to be able to keep you into a system of checks and balances and point out alternatives as well. So to me, that's one of the greatest tools an investigation team can have as a diehard skeptic. Yeah, totally. And I'd like to add to that, actually, Rob, is if you think about it, when it comes to bias confirmation, we're all biased, like both sides, believer and skeptic. True. Everybody's everybody's biased. So the argument about bias confirmation should be just thrown out the window. Well, yeah, to a degree, I agree. Yeah, to a degree, yeah. I agree. Yeah, because, I mean, if, if you if you are a firm believer, everything's going to be a ghost. If you are a pure skeptic, nothing is going to be a spirit. And I mean, it, it's there's no right. gray areas whatsoever. Right. right. Yeah, I think we just need to be human about it, and we need to be open minded about it. But we need we can't let our imagination take away with us. No, like, we, we, it's good to be objective. Yeah, exactly. Be objective. Like Rob was mentioning earlier, the more you believe about something, the more it's more real it is. But then we have to ask ourselves. How much of all this experience that we've been having is a placebo effect? I mean, when we're out there on investigations, we're hoping, I'm hoping to catch footsteps, hear sounds, someone scratch me, please do something to me. And I want that. So the moment anything that resembles that happens, I try to be like, oh, did that really happen? Like, did I really hear footsteps coming up in the kitchen behind me? Or is that just me being so hopeful? Which is why I think it's important. Uh, One of the things that as investigators that we do, and I don't know, I'm not, I don't speak for you, Matt, but I know Rob does this as well. We never send investigators alone. Because one investigator is an experience and can likely be a placebo effect, but two is possible a possible incident or a possible event. So mm-hmm. you know it's important to have that kind of balance. Well, you know, even with two people having the event, even with two people experiencing it, you still have to be able to take a skeptical look at it and say, could the two people be misinterpreting this? Yeah, it may not necessarily be a placebo effect, but there may also be another more rational, um, corporeal reason behind it outside of a spirit running through the house so you know it but it does give us a little more of a quality control over what we're doing i i agree with that and actually i've been um experimenting more with investigating by ourselves and doing solo sessions as much as i'm all for having somebody with you just for safety reasons but um i think the less contamination that you have around you the better and that's you know kind of controlling the environment a little more because you're you're trying to prevent as much contamination in the room or around that person as much as you can. Makes right. sense. And really, the only drawback that I see to that, and because I've done the solo sessions as well, but when I, you know, and I don't know about you, once again, I would never dream of, of speaking for you, of course, Matt, or even for Jason in this one, because I don't even know if you and I have talked about this, Jay, but. From time to time, I've actually done some solo sessions, but I'm always sitting in front of a camera that's being monitored or a base station. I'm always um, – any personal experience that you have in that type of a scenario to me cannot be counted towards anything outside of just a, a personal uh, experience, for lack of a better term, for the simple fact there's no cooperation to it. And you know, But I do see where the, the, the quality control, the sound control, making sure there's not a second person shuffling their feet – 
right. can That's- come in handy. But that, to me, honestly, I'm going to say this kind of as a disclaimer. I would only recommend that for very, very seasoned investigators, people that have been in the trenches for a very long time. Definitely not somebody brand spanking new that's only no. been in this for an, you know, an hour and a half, and they've <laughs> learned everything from watching Ghost Adventures or you know, whatever show it may be. <laughs> Don't get me started. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, we feel uh, the same. We feel the same. Yes, pretty much. Pretty much do. But, but yeah, but uh, you, know, you still have to have that underlying um, quality control. Well, yeah. Well, let me ask you, Matt, and, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an assumption, and, and forgive me, but I'm going to ask you if this is true. In that okay. instance in which you have a solo investigator, whomever that may be, and they are trying to keep the area clear of contamination or ambient noise contamination, what have you, uh, at that point, I, I would assume that you're relying more on the equipment than the personal experiences of that investigator at that point, correct? Because that seems to be the focus or the yes. reason that you're that you're doing right. that. Right, and that's where you can approach it with skepticism, skepticism as long as you have the appropriate documentation, right. have the person taking notes, have the have as many cameras as you can covering all the angles. You know, document the room, document what the person's doing. Um, again, like Rob said, I definitely agree and recommend that it be somebody who's seasoned. Um, you can't send a newbie to do that. They're not going to have a clue what they're doing. Right. Um, but, you know, but keep them short, keep them brief. Um, I, I wouldn't recommend doing it a long time by yourself because, you know, again, you are exposing yourself to danger. Right. And, of course, if something were to happen, you know, you don't want to be uh, exposing yourself to those dangers either. Yeah, it'd be like, well, Rob hasn't talked to us in about three hours. He's either really <laughs> involved or dead. We should check on him, actually. Let's go see how he's doing. That's a bad time to have somebody yeah. forget that you're butt-setting in a crematorium yeah. by yourself, you know? <laughs> yeah. and, if, and if you can't control the environment, which is like super hard these days you know you can't have every location to investigate like you know give you complete access to everything so that you can block every freaking you know air draft and noise and whatever right um if you can't like control the environment try to control the investigator and you control your devices and your equipment that's Absolutely. true. And, you know, really, that's a, kind of an elegant way of, of trying to eliminate the confirmation bias if you're solely, solely relying on the equipment. You know, you don't have that human element. You don't have that human interaction. So, yeah, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. That's how we go about it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. So I guess that would be an instance in which it would be okay to investigate on your own as long as you have a set rules and you have a understanding and it's certainly a seasoned investigator. I could see that working out. So that's an interesting approach to it, Rob. I might have to consider using that. never thought about that. Yeah. And actually uh, make sure, of course, the person is checked on on a very regular basis. Now with us where we have the live action DVR set up. You know, we have somebody, their eyes are on me constantly when I'm in there doing a solo session. It's not something that I'm going to be completely and totally out of touch with people on. Sure. Just just once again, for the simple fact that if something really goes haywire, I mean, if I'm sitting there, and I'll give you an example. I actually did a solo EVP session at um, Old South Pittsburgh Hospital in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. And part of what we did was they actually put me in a straight jacket laid me on a bed in a ward that was a, the, the psycho ward, put the recorder on my chest, and then tucked my legs in. I literally could not move. I, they played a joke on me a little bit later. I still hadn't gotten revenge on a couple of them. Did, I wait, will. Did you, feel, did you feel at home, Rob? 
Yeah, surprisingly <laughs> enough, yes. Was, very comforting. I was going to say, There's Rob, that said about hugging yourself. That that <laughs> wasn't an experiment, Rob. I want to apologize to you, to you right now, but those are the best fifty bucks I had ever spent. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like back then you had fifty bucks. <laughs> oh, this this is true. Well, now I don't even have fifty bucks. But either that, way. That's- that's my warped sense of humor. Sorry. No, 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 no you're, you're fine. Right now. This is what we do. Yeah, it blends <laughs> right in. You're good. You're at home. It's okay. <laughs> but either way, yeah. go ahead, Rob. Hey, Eric, Eric put an interesting statement in there. He said, remove the human element, send in robots and androids. And there are some robotic devices out there that are in use today. But, you know, honestly, I don't see them being as effective as the human element because we can be so much more interactive. We can be so much more um, – I guess, spontaneous to react to the things that actually happen around us during the, the time of the investigation, during the session. Uh, you know, if we see a meter light up or if we actually hear a whisper in the room, there's no delay for us where there would be. It has to go into the sound system. The sound system transmits to base. Base hears it. Then there's a relay back. So I don't believe that you'll ever really be able to totally remove the human element from it. But at the same time, I don't have a problem sending in a drone in an area that I know is not safe for sure. a people to be. Yeah, especially if it's like asbestos or bad black mold or oh yeah, you know, anything hazardous at all. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Totally. Right. What's interesting is when we were talking about the premise for the show, Rob and I were discussing it. One of the things he brought up, and forgive me, but I wasn't privy to the conversation the two of you had previously as far as off the air. One of the things we talked about was how the skeptics would view the paranormal in general. Just not, not even just as paranormal. As far as but, even the use of the term paranormal, right. what we, we were discussing is, is there seems to be such a hang up on that term itself. And mm-hmm. we had part of this discussion actually when we were on your show as well. Um, and we covered it actually in both sets, believe it or not. But what is your take actually on why are skeptics so hung up just on that term, just the term paranormal? What is their, I guess, their linchpin issue with that as a generic phrase? I think because. I'm not going to stereotype. Not everybody does things the same way. Everybody has their own style, their own methods, their own approach. A lot of the skeptics that I run into, I think, are like just really borderline cynics because I see a lot of debunkers, if you want to use the word debunking, or they're trying to like shoot down a lot of the modern ideas that are currently being thrown around, whether you want to call it the stone tape theory or, um, you know, some of the equipment that we're currently using in the field. I see a lot of articles floating around out there where they're poo-pooing all these ideas and all, all these like fancy words and buzzwords and terminology that we're using. But yet I don't see no solutions on how we should approach using better words or, or ways of improving the dictionary or how we should be presenting the paranormal some of them, I think, either just don't believe in it and they're just afraid to say so. Right. Because for them, there's not enough scientific data to go by. But there's scientific data backlogged for so many years. You have to dig for it. There's a lot of, believe it or not, there's a lot of scientists that have been in this for many years that have scientific data available to right. read and research. You just got to do the work. And right. I. Just like for me, like I think there's plenty of scientific data out there and people are pushing science, but that's why it's like a lot of the skeptics that I'm running into these days are borderline cynic and they're just they're they're hung up on paranormal because I just simply think they don't believe in it. 
Right. And that's what Silent Cow actually in the chat room mentioned earlier. And I love that name, Silent Cow, by the way. That's beautiful. <laughs> uh, but he said, if you believe nothing can be a ghost at all, then you're a cynic. And that's true. I mean, that's 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 the the quintessential skeptic or, or somebody that's essentially the archetypical skeptic that we commonly think of is truly a cynic. Someone that doesn't believe in, in absolutely anything as far as that's right. concerned. That would be a cynic by definition. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. But, but you talking about how those, those skeptics don't add anything to the conversation as far as an alternative or a solution. I think what's interesting is that a skeptic may come to it and think his job is just to say no, no to everything, no to this, no to that. That's BS. This is nothing. You have no proof and i while i appreciate that kind of voice because it can be constructive whenever you you uh take a second uh, look at your own equipment or your own uh evidence excuse me or information or data uh, i think it's important for people to realize you can't walk into a conversation in progress that we are having as a community to try to understand this phenomenon you can't walk in and just say no 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 and stop it at there right. you need to participate right. have that back and forth engage me engage us talk about it right right I'll, if we're if we're doing something wrong then show me like what are what are ways that we can do better what are ways that we can move more forward precisely yeah absolutely. but how, how much of that do you actually think falls back on the simple fact that they just choose not to believe it, it, it you know it comes down to uh a, for example, a show that I was on a while back, it was the same uh, Paranormal Underground Radio where I was discussing with a skeptic. You know, I asked him, what would it take for you to be convinced that there are such things as spirits in this world? And he said, you can come up to me with a ghost in a box and I'm not going to believe it. You know, so I think there's a lot of people that they don't add to the conversation because they have this diehard feeling that this is something that just cannot happen. And it doesn't even warrant, re warrant research in their minds because they are so, for lack of a better term, biased against the concept of it. And I think that that's something that we may see a little more of than even we as believers or skeptical believers uh, feel is out there, is there are people out there that are just going to be so closed-minded to this topic. They're not going to give you alternatives because they don't believe it's worth the effort to look at an alternative in something that they totally believe is, for lack of a better term, worthless time use. Right, right. And I, and I love the ones that, that are putting these articles out there that – shoot everything down and then when they're challenged and when we have references to to give them you know look this is the starting point of things you know here you go we get told you know like they turn around and say you know what is it what they say uh one person said to us well that's what you're supposed to do that that's the work that you're supposed to do well what about the work that you're doing like all right you, you know like like yeah exactly <laughs> I don't know. no i hear you because they don't think it's worth the time to read. And excuse me, but if you don't think it's worth the time to read, then you have nothing to add to this conversation. If you're not right. going to add to the to the to the back and forth, you have no place being there really. I need you to be able to at least tell me why. You can consume the data, you can privately say to yourself, "Yeah, no, I don't believe any of this." And I respect that. That's fine. I don't expect I personally don't believe every single conceit and concept we've had on this show. But I like mm -hmm. to bring it forth, you know, you, you, you at the same time, and I just derailed myself right now. Right. I just lost my train of thought, <laughs> and I have no idea where I was going with that. Well, well I'll put it, it to you this way. It, you know, it sounded Jason good. I, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it sounded, sounded fantastic. Great, let me, let me take over here for you real quick. Jason and I have actually <laughs> had shows where after the show is over and we get the guests off, and I'm not going to mention names, guys. Don't go messaging me. I'm not going to tell you who it was. We'll just kind of look at each other and go, yeah, I was not expecting this. Um, yeah. They, they need help. 
Yeah. <laughs> you, I, and, and I mean, you know, it, 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 and it's no disrespect uh-huh. to anybody. And don't try to guess who it was because you ain't going to be right. You don't know how we think. If you know how we think, you need help because we're nuts. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah uh, no kidding. No, but, but you know, we, we've had those moments in a show where we're just sitting here listening to this. And back before we actually recorded video, he and I would be visually, you know, on Skype together and nobody would be able to see us. And we'd have them calling in on a, on a landline or a phone or whatever else. And we would just turn and look at the cameras at each other. It's like, did, did you just hear that? <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. I mean, you get some really yeah. wild things. Yeah. yeah. You ever had that totally. experience on your show, Matt, where you have a guest on and you're like, you don't have to name names, of course, or even put paint any type of picture. But if you want to just answer yes or no, that's fine. But have you ever had a guest on where you're like, you know, I don't know if I buy it. I mean, obviously he's on your show because you think it's worth sharing. It's an interesting story. It's an interesting concept or idea. But have you ever had a guest on where you're like, you know what? I don't really buy into this, but I think it's truly interesting that you're bringing it up. Certainly have. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, more than one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, those are fun, though. That's fun yeah. to me, you know, and it's getting more information about the subject or topic. See, that's the difference between someone that's a that's a diehard cynic. They don't bother listening to it, don't bother putting in the time. And between someone that's a skeptic or a skeptical believer, even if you're a skeptic on that one thing, whether it be sheep squatch, which I'm sorry, I don't believe sheep squatch is real, Rob, no matter how much. Funniest things that we ever found. We did a show. I'm going to go ahead and cue you on that. We did a show a while back where Jason and I were tasked with finding creatures, spirits, or whatever else that are kind of unknown. And one of them was supposed to be fake. And the job of the panel, as well as Jason and I, was trying to figure out which one was fake that each one presented. And I found the legend uh, from deep in the woods here in West Virginia of a creature called Sheep Squatch. And nobody believed that that thing actually was a real claim. Now, of course, I'm not laying claim that Sheep Squatch is real. Please don't think for a moment. (laughs) I think there's not a seven and a half foot tall you know, ram out there running around eating people at night. <laughs> but it is an actual reported phenomenon that has been reported multiple times in the state of West Virginia. Now, I'm going to say there was probably a little bit of herbal use that spurred this <laughs> along, <laughs> saying it as tenderly as I can. Um, but, you know, we've you know, we had certain shows, Jason, and one that I actually brought to us and researched, which I'm not going to say I fully buy into it, but it actually made me pause and think. When I started researching the Mandela Effect – I I went into that thinking, you know what? This is just absolute garbage. It's got to be faulty memory. That's all it has to be. But you know something? Some of the stuff that's laying there in the claims kind of makes you pause and kind of makes you think, you know, this actually could be a phenomenon. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying I believe it. Um, I'm not saying that I'm putting credence into it at this point. But it did make me stop and kind of revisit the instant judgment that I had placed upon it. And then once again, I had to kind of check myself and say, you know what? I need to really stop going into these things tainted and um, with a preconceived notion of what's going on. Right, right. Because some of the some of the stuff that I've found and I actually brought to Jason as well as our uh, a good friend of the show, George Aguilar, who's on as a, a, a host and guest from time to time, actually made all of us stop for a minute and go, Wow. Yeah, you know, and, and it really it caught all of us off guard. Yeah, so. no kidding. We're like, really? No, your notes had to be wrong. Seriously? <laughs> yeah, you know, it was it was bizarre. Silent Cow in the chat room actually added a bit to this. He a bit to what we were saying earlier about uh, do the research. He said people shouldn't hear a claim and quote unquote do the research because they're told to. If we make the claim, we must have enough information and a grasp of the information to the point that we can explain it to the point of a good conversation. And and I agree with that because that is generally how myself, Rob, and it sounds like on on the episodes that I heard of your show there, Matthew, or Matt, excuse me, that I uh, that that is what we do. 
But yeah. I think my gripe isn't necessarily with the skeptics that do that, that are doing the research. I welcome them. The people that I say do the research to are those cynics that don't want to put any time into it. The ones that don't mm. want to hear you, that don't that don't want to hear the conversation. They don't want to be a part of the conversation. I think that's really what I was referring to. But I agree with you, Sadanka. That is how any true, not just not just true paranormal researcher, but an actual scientist, that's how they have to yeah. be able to present the information. Yeah. You have to present it in a colloquial type manner almost at times, in a way in which some people can understand. You know, right. you have to be able to explain it simply. Like, if you can't explain something simply, then you don't understand the concept. So we can, sure. yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it, it reminds me of something that was said a while back. Uh, when Henry Ford was first looking to have an eight-cylinder engine designed, every one of his uh, R&D people, every one of his researchers basically said, this can't be done. It can't function. It won't work. He fired the entire staff that did his R&D and brought in a staff of people that actually believed that it could happen. Now, it took them a long time to make it work, but as you know, now we have 8-cylinder, 12-cylinder, 16-cylinder engines floating around in this <laughs> world. So, you know, when you limit your own perspective on any topic, you're limiting growth in that field. You're li limiting growth in that area, and that's something that I think that a lot of people really need to start taking to heart because, you know – if you, as dad, as my dad used to say, God rest his soul, uh, can't never could do anything. Yeah. If you're determined <laughs> that it can't exist, that it can't happen, you're never going to be able to find the truth behind what's actually going on. And, and in my opinion, a true skeptic is should be willing and open to listening to everything. They should, uh, Say that one more time, please. I'm so sorry. No, a, a true skeptic should be open-minded to listening and willing to listen to yeah, everything. Absolutely, be open. absolutely. I, I like think both both sides. Totally, totally. I think that's how we should just approach things in general. I mean, if you firmly hold so, if you anything that you have an understanding of, be willing to listen to the other side, to the contrary explanation, and then weigh it against the information that you know. And take the, the that which has the most supported evidence and hold that to be your new standard of of belief or or standard of of of, of understanding. You know, the, yeah. the way that's with everything. You know, I might think that it's better to put a premium unleaded in my car because the octane levels higher, it's going to make it perform better. But in reality, the engineer said that unleaded will do just fine. You know what I mean? Right. You know, you okay. can. Yeah, and the evidence supports them. So I'm putting unleaded gas in my truck. I'm sorry. I'm not going to put premium. I love my truck. I love you, baby. She's out <laughs> in the parking lot. She can hear me here in the, the driveway. But, you know, at the same time, I'm not going to bother putting premium if it doesn't do anything for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What were you yeah. going to say, man? No, I was going to, if you guys don't mind asking me, asking you guys a question. Please. No, please um, go ahead. Um, in, like one of my pet peeves now, as a skeptical believer, because believe me, we we've all in, we've all encountered different experiences that we we cannot explain right. that science may or may not be able to explain however one of my own personal pet peeves is when you have you have a the media has gotten huge when it comes to the paranormal okay you have oh, yeah. many many outlets you got youtube you got twitter Facebook, um, you know, there's there's so many forums out there that offer people to share their information on. Now, my argument is is how so-called evidence or potential evidence. I don't really like the word evidence myself. I think it's too strong of a word. But when somebody presents something, I think we should be careful how it's presented to the public. That's true. 
That's true. Yeah. I mean, I like and I like your your the, your comment saying that evidence is too strong a word. I never really thought about it, but when you use the word evidence, that's a little bit presumptuous. It's like this is right. evidence of what? You're saying it's evidence it's real, you're saying evidence of not. How do you know? You haven't really reviewed right. it as yet. We well, haven't peer reviewed it. That makes the sense. Definition oh. of, the definition of evidence is the proof of something. So you're you're coming across like you have proof. That's true. Well, here's here. I'm going to take a little bit of a different spin on this, okay? Uh-huh. And and one thing sure. I love about this show is we're always open to discussion. We're always open to different viewpoints. I do see evidence as a very functional working word for this because we're not necessarily bringing evidence of a ghost. We're bringing evidence of an event that we cannot explain. Sure. If we find if, if somebody finds a dead body, okay, and the police come in and investigate, they're going to collect evidence. That doesn't necessarily mean it was a murder. It doesn't necessarily mean it was a suicide. It does mean that an event happened there with an unknown conclusion to said event. The evidence is what we gather to try to prove or disprove, to bring us that litmus test against the claim. So I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach on this. I don't necessarily think evidence is a bad term because it's not pinpointing, yes, this was a ghost. But it's pinpointing, look, something happened here. We don't have an explanation for this. This is what we've got to show something happened. Now let's pick it apart and see if we can come to a conclusion on what it was or actually find the factoid behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, but I'm hearing us argue about the use of the word evidence and, and how it factors in our uh, field of study. And yet there are people out there that will think that individuals like us just believe everything that comes across our path. No. Oh, yeah. We, are tr- we, are, we try to dissect uh, all this information as, as granularly as possible, as detailed as possible, to the point that we're arguing over the use of the word evidence. You know what I mean? This year, <laughs> yeah. this is evidence of how diligent we are in, yeah. in our pursuit but, of what it is we're looking for. But go ahead. But in a way, we do have to kind of scrutinize ourselves. True. Because we don't, we don't have, like, a, a governing body of, like, officials, you know, kind of policing uh, what we do because, you know, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. I think that's why, you know. There, yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Yeah, we don't have like but the paranormal yeah, PD or the silent cow brigade. I don't know whatever you would call that 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 particular uh, organizing body, but we don't have that. You're absolutely right. But go ahead, Rob. I didn't interrupt you. And you know, until we can actually get a a, a more well toned, uh, defined set of terminology for this, you got to remember at this time we're still using not only equipment from other fields, but terminology from other fields as well. Um, you know, when we're on the scene of an investigation, uh, a lot of investigators look at it as a party time. A lot of them look at it as a, almost like a crime scene as far as evidence collection. Um, a lot of them look <laughs> at walking into an unknown situation or scenario. So, you know, until we get a more defined, um, I guess, unified viewpoint of the terminology that needs to be used and set things as a standard coding, these types of debates are going to happen. The problem that I find is, and I blame the mainstream media for a lot of this as well when it comes to everything from religion to politics to insert whatever here, is it can become a distraction to what we're actually trying to do. And what we're trying to do is find out actually what is happening in somebody's home, what is happening in this business, what is happening on this street corner this time of night. Keep your mind out of the gutter, Jason. Um, Already too late. Yeah, I figured. (laughs) We're trying to, to find out the truth about what's going on, whether it be called paranormal, whether it be called a spiritual existence, whether it be called a a rip in the space time continuum. It doesn't matter what it's called at this point. We're just trying to actually find out what the action is that's going on. And I think honestly, we can do a little bit of a better job putting a, um, I guess a nomenclature to it later once we have a better understanding of what we're discussing. And I think that that's part of it is this is still a very theoretical field. 
Sure. I know it's one of the oldest fields out there. And, you know, uh, the spirituality slash uh, the paranormal slash whatever you want to determine this as has been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years. But we're just now getting to where we have the scientific method, at least, to start to apply to it, where we have enough technology at our disposal and enough understanding of how the world works that we automatically don't think that an eclipse is the end of the world and the gods are mad. And, you know, so (laughs) once we get to that point where we actually have a deeper and much better understanding of what's going on behind the scenes, then I think the terminology is going to come a little more natural and we won't have quite the hang up. But until that point, cut us some slack on the terminology because we're having to use terminology from other fields to fit into the mold. Me and Tim have discussed a lot of terminology in our show, and I and I think me and Tim are kind of in an agreement. Actually, believe it or not, we actually agree on this. Um, How do you do that? Agree with your co-host? That's that's. Amazing. I know it's like it's like a new, it's, it's. Teach hard. me, oh wise one. <laughs> go ahead. I'm yeah. so, go ahead. And he and Tim's more skeptic than I am, so you can just imagine our conversation. You know? <laughs> 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 Next week so should I'm, be fun too. By the way, Jason, just yeah. so you know. Yeah. I think we have found that a lot of terminology is like kind of along what you were saying, Rob, we've used words from other fields and other forms of, you know, different studies and things. However, I think because there are words that have been so commonly used over the years that they just like are habit, uh, not only just habit, but maybe like a placeholder to describe that particular event or term or it's just like kind of a temporary placeholder. But I do the, think the comfort food of words, basically. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it speaks to what you were saying earlier. You were mentioning that, or, or, excuse me, that we were talking about earlier. If you have to explain something to somebody, you want to use common terms. You want to dip into that popular vernacular and, and speak to them in a way that they would understand and not use words like vernacular. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you want to be able to use words. I, I, I've never heard that used in the paranormal, but <laughs> <laughs> now you have. No, but, uh, you know, exactly. You want to be able to relate to somebody and speak to somebody and telling someone that you, you and I can't even think of a paranormal word that really wouldn't be easily identifiable. And I think that's it's a good thing. I think that's nice that we've been able to establish at least a form of dialogue and a language set that we can use to communicate with each other that doesn't seem over the heads of everybody that's listening to it. And mm-hmm. perhaps that's a double-edged sword, perhaps because we don't use fancy terms that people think that this isn't truly a field of study. This isn't something that should be taken seriously, when in reality, it's something that a lot of us take very seriously and something that a lot of us actually study. And because we don't speak with a highfalutin tone or use 50-cent words everywhere here and there, I mean, I do, but that's just how I am. <laughs> but just because <laughs> I like to sound smart. But, um, you know, every time that we... You we, notice he didn't say he liked to be smart. Right. Like yeah. I, I can actually I can actually agree with him because I'm not very articulate myself. So. Yeah, no, I mean, it's but it's great to be able to communicate with everybody. You have to know your audience. And our Mm -hmm. audience, because this is such a universal uh, thing that we're talking about, life, a possibility of life after death or a shared common experience that people cannot explain for those people that don't believe that ghosts are dead at all or or the spirits at all. You know, this is something that we all experience as humanity. So we need to be able to speak to each other in a very common way. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's an elegant way of speaking. And I think it's important to be able to do that so we can relate to each other and share experiences and stories. 
It's I hate to uh, yeah, I hate totally. to rein this in, guys, but just to let you know, we've reached the halfway point of our show. We're one hour in. Wow. Yeah, it goes. Yeah, it flies hard to believe by. it. It really Time does. Flies when you're having fun. That's right. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But just for those listening, if you're listening to us live right now, you're tuned in at the only location where you can be part of our amazing chat room. That's livingparanormal.com forward slash live. This is the weekly home of our live broadcast where we have our guests, we have conversation. And if you um, input into the chat room, as you've heard already tonight, then you will get mentioned on the air as well. So we do uh, recommend, not only recommend, but we do encourage that you come and check us out live. And this way, any questions you have about the shows, guess what? We can answer them and not have to worry about emailing you back. It's very, very simple, very fast. And you can also ask questions of our guests, which is something that we enjoy doing. Jason, where else can they find us? They can find us over in our archives over at livingparanormal.com. All you have to do is go to livingparanormal.com, either click on past shows, where you can access over 149 episodes taking place over two years, or you can hit the search button, the uh, search button, the search bar on the bottom of the front page or on any of the other show pages. You can actually type in the topic that you would like. You want to listen to Bill Bean uh, talk about his experiences as he was a child oppressed by spirits. You want to listen to the episode where you talk to Andrea Perone of The Conjuring and her experiences growing up on the farm you can absolutely do so all you have to do is just click search now in a few moments i'm going to actually ask matt to do a plug for his show because it's so great when we have another host on our air but i want to give him a heads up before i do that to him now if you want to listen to other archive copies of our show you can find us in any podcast aggregator that you like to choose whether it be g pod or ipod itunes or whatever has the letter i in it or anything you use to search for a podcast <laughs> go ahead and just type in living paranormal and click subscribe we're there uh in addition to that of course our original home blogtalkradio.com slash living paranormal you know blog talk radio was the original platform we came out on and we stay true to you guys we're uploading the shows there uh every time we have them and uh we we appreciate and love each and every one of you all of y'all that listen it's crazy because we can use the tools to see where you're listening to or from and everyone around the world we really appreciate y'all listening to the show thank you so much uh matt you're the host of a show that's that's uh pretty good i've actually <laughs> listened segue, to it way by the way jason yeah. Yeah, I tell you, man, that was, that was so smooth. Speaking, it was just, yeah, uh, it was it, it was, was a total blast. It was pre- uh, very professional. <laughs> <laughs> well, geez, thanks. You know, I take that that's from the a highlight real... of your career, man. It's all downhill. It is, so, you know, it is. that's the first time a real co-host has actually told me something constructive about about my my presentation <laughs> style. <laughs> but Matt, you hear constructive all the time. You say can people are complaining about you? They're trying to be constructive. <laughs> You suck is constructive. <laughs> that's well, true. And actually, it depends also how the person perceives that, too. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> true. That's true. I've heard nothing constructive. Either way, uh, Matt, tell everybody where they can hear your show at. Sure. Uh, we broadcast live on Spreaker.com. Uh, we have a website. It's www.paranormaltalkradio.org. Uh, you can listen to our show uh through various ways you can listen to it either live on speaker.com and just look up paranormal talk radio live uh we should be uh listed there on their homepage or in the search box uh it's pretty pretty uh user-friendly on their homepage if you've ever visited speaker i love speaker i got to give them a plug because they're our network so um, they're the ones who uh, keep us going. And uh, ParanormalWarehouse.com, uh, I got to give them a plug because they also share our show. Uh, our link on their show is another way that you can listen to our show. 
Uh, we're on iTunes and a couple other directories, but uh, those are ways that you can listen to our show. We're live every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Rob, I don't know if we can have him on again. Rob, his webpage looks better than ours. <laughs> I'm jealous. You can actually blame our webmaster for that one. <laughs> you can take Tim. Tim does a fantastic job for our website. Tim, we need to talk, man, because I'm the web- <laughs> webmaster. I haven't used that word since the 90s, but I'm the guy that does the website for us, too. And uh, we need to have a convo because I like what you've done over here, man. I know you're, uh, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, Tim is Silent Cow in the chat room. Is that correct? Yes. yes. Yeah, Silent Cow. Well done, man. Mucho good job. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, yeah, he doesn't, want, he doesn't want me to do it because, uh, like, I know a little bit about web design. I do our team website, and, um, like, coding is just like a headache. And if you do, like, one wrong coding, like I said, you could just wipe out your entire website. Well, it's funny <laughs> because he totally said he cheats. It's Wix. I'm cheating, too. <laughs> I use Squarespace, and I still manage to make Squarespace, Squarespace look sorry. Like, I don't know. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's pure talent, Jason. Pure talent. It's like, and make by it- the way, I just just for the record, Jason, that pun that you threw out there was utterly disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> you milked it way too long. All right. I'm stop now. All right. Well done. That's funny. Shots fired. I see how you are. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Oh, Fair God, enough. I'm, so, I'm, I'm cheesing up so bad. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry for coughing on you guys. No, you're, no you're, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. It's okay. You're yeah, too f- no, I'm getting over a cold. I, I was at White Hill Mansion. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but no, um, White, White Hill Mansion's in Fieldsboro, New Jersey. Uh, I did an event re- there recently. Uh, we did an investigation after the event, and the basement is just like so freaking moldy. Oh, and yeah. I didn't oh, realize oh. how run down that place was. I should have like been prepared to wear a mask, but... Um, you know, like later that night uh, on the way home, uh, I was getting a ride home with a team member of mine and he had the window down and the AC on and like between that and the mold, that was it. That's what did me in. You know, it's funny. <laughs> I call that the coffin cough. Whenever you're yeah. around, when you're around like places <laughs> that are supposed to be haunted, but they invariably are just occupied by mold, mildew, dust and rats. I just call it the coffin <laughs> cough because you come back with the worst freaking cough sometimes. Oh, yep. Yeah, it's like when you do conferences. Do you ever do any conferences uh, at all, man? Yeah. yeah. And you I come do. back yeah. with the conference cough because you shake so many people's hands, you're invariably going to oh. get the cold from somebody. Yeah, actually, I did a uh, Pennhurst Paracon two two uh-huh. two years ago. And I totally got sick, like, right after that. <laughs> yeah, man. It's going to happen. You're going to get the conference cough. And if you go investigate yeah. these rundown places, or not even rundown, it's just a very old place, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Very old yeah, places. that actually happened to us at Old South Pittsburgh Hospital. I came back, and within two days, I had the worst case of bronchitis that I think I've ever had in my life. Oh. And it, it was, once again, the dusty, moldy rat infested you name it that that you deal with in this field this is not a glamorous field guys i hate to break this to you this is not what you see on tv no. the, the regular paranormal teams that are out on the ground we don't get the mansions we don't get the museums we get the closed down abandoned hospitals we get the yeah. insane asylums we get the person's house that has not been cleaned in you know, god knows how many years Oh, no and I tell an honest, honest story. This is a true story. Now, of course, I'm not mentioning names, but, you know, until I got in this field, I never realized that mold could grow on dishwater. What? Really? really? It can happen. We ran into that in a house. Um, I, when it was in a different house, turned a light on and the carpet moved. There were so many roaches under the carpets. Oh, um, oh wow. Yeah, so, you know, we, I'm telling you, this is not what you see on TV, guys. <laughs> this, is, this is the real deal. This is the 
We're the trench was, soldiers, I guess you could I, say. I was shaking my head off. I didn't knock my mic out. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. I can hear you. What have you ever run into? Matt, you ever run into, a, like, what's the craziest investigation, the situation you found yourself in? Actually, it wasn't, like, an, an, an investigation, but it was an investigation I was supposed to do. <laughs> I didn't actually <clears throat> end up going to do it. Okay. We were tra- traveling through the worst parts of Baltimore. And when I mean the worst parts of Baltimore, my GPS crapped out and took me through like like the most rundown par- parts of Baltimore with bullet holes in the side of boarded up houses and oh, wow. like yeah, my wife is like freaking out. She's like, roll up the windows, lock the doors, you know, <laughs> you know. And everybody's like yelling at me, "What are you doing, taking us through this freaking neighborhood?" And um, I, I I don't know if you guys remember the Engineers Club that was on Ghost Hunters like long time ago. I don't know what season it was on. Engineers um, Club. I don't recall and, Engineers Club. I don't think I, I don't remember that one. They they claim that these uh, cue balls on the billiard table like move by themselves or something like that. Okay. And okay. That was like one of the biggest claims that they had from that episode, but. The, the management there wanted us to do an investigation because they weren't quite happy with how uh, the show handled their investigation. Um, so they wanted us to come in and kind of clean up, I guess. So I was totally. happy to come. We got interviewed. You know, we interviewed him and whoever we had to talk to. Um, but because I'm from Long Island, uh, it's such a far drive from Long Island all the way down to Maryland and through that area. Um, by the time what we were getting ready to do, we were just so freaking exhausted and where we were staying, we were also doing an investigation at a um, historic plantation on Chesapeake Bay uh, in Maryland, um, nice. which was like an hour from there. And I was just like, I called the guy up. I said, listen, we're going to have to like make arrangements to do it some other time. Because <laughs> by the time that like, we were no going kidding. through that bad neighborhood and then I was just like, believe it or not, that was like a pretty eerie experience. No, I believe it. You know, when you were telling that story, it reminded me of National Lampoon's Vacation. You can actually see the real world, kids. Bang, bang, roll them up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was funny because, I'm sorry. um, No, no, please. When the GPS broke down, I pulled over. I saw a cop car like just up the street ahead. I'm like, this will make me feel safer. I pulled up behind the cop car. That's hilarious. You know, it's funny because yeah. we need. I think we need to stop, stop stop talking about these bad neighborhoods. I'm getting a little sentimental from where I grew up. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let me give you some insight into this one, Matt. I this is an idea of the, of the kind of street I grew up in, a neighborhood I grew up in. One of my fondest memories around Christmas time as a child is when the crack house across the street burned down. <laughs> that's a true story that's a true oh, story man. i was like yeah. oh that's so nice and yeah. warm <laughs> but were you but, but were you warm. happier or sad <laughs> i was a little sad you know you lose a part of the neighborhood but at the same time it was really interesting i was like nine and it was just the most fun i'd ever seen at like one in the morning there were all these like these uh fire trucks outside and uh, you could you could literally see rats running for their life like right, across right. the street. One right. of them, I swear, was on fire and just running across the street. It was a horrific experience for that rat, I imagine. But I was really enjoying like, it. It puts me in the Christmas spirit. But um, either, either any, way. Any followers of PETA, you can contact us at contacts at livingparanormal.com if you had a problem. <laughs> what Jason just said, that's contact at livingparanormal.com. And to be fair, I did not light the rat on fire. To be fair, <laughs> I just want to say, and no animals were harmed in the making of this episode. 
But that uh, <laughs> talking about traveling and, and things of that nature to the investigations, uh, especially going from that long way to Long Island to Maryland, that's like what four hour drive. That's a pretty hefty yeah. drive. Yeah. Um, yep. I feel free because I'm stationed in Texas. I'm in South Central Texas. I'm in San Antonio. Cool. I say station. I have friends like, down there. Oh, really? In San Antonio. Um, you know uh, Robert Hernandez, uh, formerly of uh, Ghost Hunter International. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good friends with Robert Hernandez. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know him personally. I know of Robert. I don't want to make I, it I'm seem pre- like I know him yeah, personally. That's why I mentioned him. I figured you know, that's, know of him. That's awesome, man. That's too cool. <laughs> yeah. That's too cool. We, yeah. actually, we actually had one of his uh, co-investigators on the show, uh, Barry Fitzgerald, actually joined us one night oh, okay. for a, an cool. amazing discussion about the Banshee. It was just wonderful to hear the the tales from Barry growing up. And uh, Dustin Parry has been on the show as well, so... Hey, look at that. Seven degrees of separation. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) It's crazy. But, I mean, what kind of equipment did you bring to that investigation? Did you have to make a a choice between uh, various types of equipment when you're traveling that long of a distance? Does it have an impact on your inventory? Um, Believe it or not, um, we're we're the type of group. I mean, I have team members who are really hardcore into, you know, experimenting with different types of equipment. Uh Um, that seem to have no, like endless budget, but I have a budget and I can't like spend lots of money on different types of equipment. But um, I feel you. I I believe it or not, I'm a basic investigator. I rely on like interviews, research, um, documenting with video cameras, audio. Uh, we do use a DVR system. Um, you know. I, I just use your basic equipment. So when we travel far, I try to use the most basic equipment as possible because, again, you know, a lot of this stuff isn't really going to prove anything. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I mean, I hope to get the holy grail on video someday, but, right. you know. So you're not one to, say, use, like, uh, some of the paranologies equipment. And, and full disclaimer, I own some pieces of their equipment. And and, um, and necessarily, we're not saying we're not going to be bashing paranologies in any way. We've actually had uh, the gentleman that events that's the, that works on the stuff and he actually owns a company on the show previously. So I want to make sure that you're aware. Matt, I'm not trying to set you up or anything, but you are free to express your opinion, please. We, we You are free to express whatever you like to say. Um, on, on, the, on their equipment? Or? Not necessarily their but equipment such as that equipment that's extremely complicated it's extremely complex to use like geopods where they're trying to use geoseismic sensors do you don't okay. feel that truly adds a, a quantifiable element to the field in any way or? i i i do i mean if you can collaborate many pieces of equipment to an event then i think you have something interesting if you can collaborate more than one piece of equipment so okay. if you have an audio recorder that gets an EVP and you have other pieces of equipment, you know, uh, interacting or getting something unusual that you can't explain with that EVP, I think you have something very, very interesting. So are you just saying you just don't think it's necessary? You're like, I, I, I yeah, kind of. OK, well, <laughs> hey, no, that's, everyone's has a personal style. Like you mentioned, you have people on your team that would use that equipment. So obviously you don't necessarily right. discourage the use of that equipment. You just personally right, right. don't feel it's necessary. Right. Is that right? OK, cool. Yeah. One of my issues, if I can, please, like, with, equi- with equipment is I've, I've me and Tim talk about this all the time because and I'm not knocking the people who build equipment. I'm all for technology. And I do think someday technology could really find something interesting and possibly, you know, lead us in a really good scientific direction. And I'm all for that. However, a lot of the builders are very shy on sharing data when they've tested their ideas on how they've gotten their idea to get 
to where they are to build it. And like my thing is like um, if you're going to put out something or a product that you're selling for hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars, I think the consumer who's going to be interested in your product or buying your product has every right to question any kind of data or research that you've done on the equipment that is your product that you're building. And that's one of my pet peeves in the field because there's very far and few between that actually share that kind of information. Yeah, I can see that. You, you know, if you don't have the background information on it, it makes it a lot tougher definitely to run with. But you know, I, I kind of agree that it's not, a, it's not necessary to have this equipment, but it is nice to be able to take a look with a different um, – I guess a different technology standpoint, something that's a little more custom designed to what we do. It's good to have that for a cooperation, but not necessarily a necessity per se. It's not something that I would definitely go broke Correct. on, but yeah, definitely be fun to have. I mean, that's you know kind of my thing. Now, do you find any, you know, because we've on the topic of equipment, this is something Jason and I really enjoy getting into, by the way, is the equipment conversations and discussions about it. Um, is there one particular piece of equipment that you will look at and say, look, this is the one piece of equipment that I have to have. If I only have one piece of equipment that I'm going to take outside of the the research and things of that nature, we're talking pure technology here. What is that one piece of go-to, I've got to have it equipment that you look for in your kit when you're on site? I, I have to say I am prone. I don't know why, but there is something, you know, even though all right, the EMF field, you can't see it, you can't smell it, you can't, you know, as far as EMF frequency and all that. Right. But the 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 millimeter REM uh, proximity meter, I I'm very like I'm I I hold a little favoritism to that. I've right. seen it randomly just go off for no no particular reason. After doing a baseline reading around the area, you know, we always do baseline readings. So right. you, you just have to, you know, because, you, right. you know, if, if that's the road you're going down, you know, you just you have to have something to compare it to. Mm-hmm. And I've had this thing go off just randomly for no apparent reason. And I can't come up with an explanation. I mean, I'm not saying it's anything paranormal, but it gets me excited because it, it could lead us down that direction that it that there's the possibility of something. Right. Right. No, absolutely. And and real quick in the chat room, um, Silent Cow, and I know his real name, but I just love Silent Cow so much more. Um, I'm all about having, Tim. yeah, Tim, <laughs> Tim, the Silent Cow. I'm all about having fun with equipment and trying new stuff. Just have a valid reason why you believe it's finding paranormal evidence. Geopods, why? And he also said, well said, Matt. So you got a little bit of backup there, but you know, and, and I agree going back to what you were saying, Matt, about the equipment and talking about the data that goes behind it. Try buying a pair of headphones, a real, like if you buy like the headphones that you have right now, Matt, on that box of that headphones you have, I guarantee you they're going to have decibel level readings. They're probably going to have like charts showing where the, uh, where the frequency falls off. You know, they're going to have scientific data on the box for a pair of freaking headphones. If I'm mm-hmm. spending, which can get very expensive and get thousands of dollars for headphones, which is wild. Oh, hell yeah. But I mean, if you're talking about, you know, something I'm going to spend 600 bucks on. I want to have some data behind that bad boy. You know what I'm saying? Right. I want to know. And, and I agree 100% with what Matt just said. And it almost makes me want to feel like I, I want to do a, a you know an outcry to the community. You know, if you're going to be making this equipment, 
please put something on there that we can look at, like empirical evidence or like empirical information that we can reference back to. Like, what's, uh, how far away does your geosensor truly sense? Like, what type of um, unit of measurement is it using? And how sensitive is the equipment compared to other things? We need to know yeah. these things in order to truly use yeah. them and get use out of it. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Where And where did you use it? What kind of environment did you use it in? What did you test it in a laboratory? You know, how did yeah. you test it? I think maybe a lot of the people who build equipment are afraid of people stealing their ideas. Sort Fair of enough. Speak. Yeah. I understand that. But if you patent it and you copyright your material, there should be no issue. If you're truly standing behind your product, then you should really have no problem sharing some kind of data to it. Exactly. And a lot of the equipment that we use is repurposed. I mean, to be perfect, excuse me, to be perfectly honest, the Paranologies Bicam that I have, um, it essentially has both a, a full-spectrum camera and a regular light camera. If you look at it close enough, it's a repurposed dash cam. That's what it is. That's all it is. It's not like he's – and he does some electrical engineering work on it in order to try to override, right. for instance, the uh, the recording limitation that it has on it. He changes some of the, the basic core settings. He does things I can't do. That's why I'm paying you for it. I'm paying you for your professional ability to uh, create this device. I'm, I'm, I'm paying you to make something reliable. I'm paying you for that amazing lifetime warranty he has on his products. You know, that's what right. I'm buying. I am buying mm -hmm. your ability. I don't have it in my head that you came up with this in your personal quote unquote lab all on your own, mm -hmm. wiring things down from the PCB. I don't. And I have that. Don't insult your, and I'm saying this to Paranology specifically, this is the industry, to the right. industry. Don't insult your customers by assuming that they are under the belief that hmm. you created this all on your own from scratch. They know you didn't, but at least tell us mm -hmm. how well it works in the units of measurements and what right. have you. And, and to throw a, a little more take on that yeah. is when they put this equipment out there and depending on how they're wording what the device does or what the equipment's designed to do, which is very vague if you think about it, like there's not really much info that they put on their product. They're also making a huge claim when they go to promote their product, oh, this is going to give you this kind of reading or that reading and, you know, documenting this or documenting that when it, they're making huge claims. Right. And when you make when you make a huge claim, and that's what I mean about my pet peeve about presenting something to the public, you got to be careful with what kind of claim you're making. Absolutely. And I'm and Silent Cow, actually, Tim just said, I'm happy if someone just says to the effect, I just have a hypothesis about X measurements that occur mm -hmm. during paranormal claims. So I want to measure X. That is great. You don't have to have equipment to search for the quote unquote ghost. You can look at the actual environment of paranormal claims. Look at comparisons. That's good. That's good pasta. And I like that. That is very true. That's very true. And I wanted to get that in there because that was a very good point. Right. But the one thing I want to ask you, speaking about experimental items and equipment, what is your take on iPhone slash Android apps such as Ghost Radar? What do you think about those? Uh, a lot of apps are just not good. Yeah. Fake. Entertainment purposes. Yeah. And yeah, I, you know, it's funny. At one time I was just bored at work. I'm a security guard and I, I worked in an office building that had some activity. Mm -hmm. And I think it was more active because of the area, not so much because of the actual building. Gotcha. Um, you know, there was a burial ground, of course, Af African burial ground right across the street from it. So, you know, wow. I'm not saying that's the, re that's the reason why, but it was just kind of odd that that was right across the street. But anyway, um, you know, I use the 
Ghost Radar just to like mess around and see like, all right, you know, what is this all about? There was like just coming out around that time. And I have it on my phone. And I put it down and, you know, even my coworkers, like they knew what I what I'm into and stuff. And they're like, oh, let's see what we get, you know, and, you know, like this place, you know, has a lot of reports of, you know, the staff experiencing this and that. And of course, you start seeing, you know, all these little blips on the radar. <laughs> right. <started hearing>. And <laughs> my coworkers, like, he's like, you know, he's like. Starts freaking out. He's like, "Are you serious?" He's like, "All right, I'm gonna go home now." <laughs> I saw, I saw a group of, of friends, totally just like your story. I had a friend of mine that downloaded the app at work, and it was late at night because I used to work in accounting. And at the end of the month, you stay there literally until you're done. It's like four in the morning, and we were walking out, and one of them had an app that was a ghost app, a ghost radar type app. And uh, it was funny because it divulged into everybody just seeing all these blips on the map. It felt like that scene out of Aliens, like. Like they're in the walls. It's game over, man. It's game over. <laughs> Everybody was just freaking out about the app, and uh, but it was it was it's it's hilarious. But I put next to no stock, unfortunately, in a great many of those apps. I want to know how in the hell is your phone finding that ghost? What is the EMF detector in that bad boy? You know what I mean? Or what is the temperature gauge in that thing? Like, there's nothing yeah. of that. Like, what is it reading? Are you telling me they have, like, everyone emanates a certain frequency of cell phone radiation? Like, how is that supposed to detect it? I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't I, buy it. I just don't buy it either. You need to have some <laughs> type of external probe to at least pick up some type of external data. And Bluetooth ain't right. cutting it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's what I, I was wondering about on that one. So, no, I agree. But what how, is the one? It, I, I'm going to ch- kind of take this in a little bit of a different direction. Sorry to interrupt no, you, Jason, please, but please, I've, got go a, ahead. I've got a question that just kind of hit me, and I'm like, I just want to see this because I've got an answer to this one myself. Is there, Matt? Is there one piece of technology you see out there, and we don't have to get specifics with companies that make it or whatever else, but you see it and you go, you know, I swear to God, I hope this thing is legit. I hope it's real, but I'm just not buying that it works the way it says it is. And I know we've kind of touched on the apps, but is there one? I guess you would call it box piece of uh, equipment that you look at and go, man, if only that thing were real, it would revolutionize our field. Um, I mean, me, me and Tim have gotten into this. And if I think I know where your head is at, Rob, I'm getting into your head a little bit there. Um, if you're kind scary of scary place, man, <laughs> um, scary place. If, you're, if you're talking about the wonder box, <laughs> um, yeah, I just, you know, again, we we know the history of the person behind it. There's a lot of controversy about this person. Uh, again, I'm not going to bash this person. You know, he's got his own haters. Um, but I, yeah, I, I I don't think it's I don't think it's proving anything. Yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm not buying. I'm not buying it. It's to me in general, and I don't know how you feel about this, but not just the Wonder Box, but I mean like. Uh, Ovelisk and all these other voice box, Vox boxes in general. Um, I know Rob, you've gotten pieces of, of of data from that. You've had you've had things that have corroborated along with the lines of those voice boxes or communication boxes, Rob. But I've had next to none. I had right. one experience that could maybe be interesting, but I wouldn't even put it to the Vox box. I was actually investigating um, the Gray Moss Inn. The Gray Moss Inn is an old inn here on the outskirts of San Antonio, Texas. They actually are in uh, uh, Gray Moss, Texas, I think, if I want to say it correctly. It's a small town um, off of the scenic loop outside of San Antonio. Great restaurant now. 
but it's an historical place. We went to, they have a lot of activity there, and we went to go do an investigation, and um, the Vox Box outside in this beautiful clearing, I mean, it's nighttime, but I mean, literally, there was a family of deer tranquilly drinking water out of the creek, like it was something out of a freaking uh, uh, movie. And it said, murder, run, run. And the investigator that was with me, um, she was newer in the field. She like literally turned white and wanted to go inside. And I'm like, why? It just chose random words out of the dictionary to me. It doesn't feel like it made any real type of meaningful contribution to the investigation. And I feel it's hard to not roll my eyes when I see one taken out personally. That's just me speaking personally. I have not had anything... Uh, remarkable happened from these boxes. Now, Rob may feel differently. He's actually actively used one of his investigations, and we do different opinions sometimes. Well, what do you think about well, those devices there? Uh, uh, well, Rob, first, state your part, Rob, and I want to get Matt's opinion on it afterwards. Well, you're seeing that right now I'm actually looking back at my wife because she was there when when one, one of these events happened, actually, with an ovalist. Now, this is one of those devices that I'm not sold on, just for the record. But we had an interesting phenomenon happen one night. And uh, every year, several times a year, we investigate a place called the Ramsdale House. It was an actual stop on the Underground Railroad here in West Virginia. It was owned by uh, Zoper D. Ramsdale. It was built just for the specific intent of setting up a um, safe haven for, um, you know, um, abolitionists to come into and show that uh, a city could work. Not only could it survive without slave labor, but could actually thrive. And so the, the house is very historic. A lot happened there. There's been a lot of uh, trauma and history around the place as well. So one of our investigators purchased an obelisk, and I'm always about trying out new tech. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a tech file. I, you know, I love this stuff. I love technology. So we're sitting on the back porch. You're probably going to have to put the explicit tag on this show, Jason. I'm just going to warn you now. <laughs> we're, we're sitting on the back porch, and I've got the obelisk set up at base camp, and I'm doing my turn watching the cameras, and you know they're in the house investigating. Excuse me. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the obelisk said dick. And I, I stop. Called you by name. Well, you know, it, it gets better. You, I was going to say that, off. but you beat me to it. <laughs> no problem. No, you're not far off. Honest to God, you're not far off. I start laughing and I said, I think somebody just got called a dick. And somebody else said, I wonder who they was talking about. I said, who are you calling a dick? Clear as day, that obelisk said, Rob. Are you kidding me? I just got called a dick by an novelist. So a few minutes later, my ex-wife, and and please guys remember, I'm not disparaging my ex-wife on this one, but this is a very true story, and it is extremely funny. When she would come down there, she used to be on the team before we separated. She would always bring candy to one of the spirits downstairs as a trigger device, a spirit by the name of William. We believed it was the spirit of a little boy. And uh, about five minutes later, we're still laughing and talking about this. The novelist pops up again and goes, Kim. And, you know, I'm taken back to this, of course, because we're divorced. I've got my fiancé there with me that night sitting on the back porch. I'm like, wow, this is not going to end well. Damn, <laughs> you know? the ghost just ratted you out. Yeah, <laughs> but, but all of a sudden, and now, if you know how the obelisk works, it's only supposed to be able to produce one word at a time. It's got a, a built-in database. Right. Literally, in, in this speed and this fast, said Candy Slut. <laughs> what? what? It calls... that's, a, that's such a word. <laughs> I know it that's in the words. dictionary. 
And it was too, no, it's not. And that's what kind of got me with it. So I started kind of taking a little more of a, a legitimate look at it at that point, because up to that point, it had been kind of comical to me. But I can be a dick. I'm not going to lie. I, you've been around me, Jason. You know, I give you a hard time every day of the week, man. He, we talk, you and I are busting each other's chops. That's what we do. He can be a dick. But <laughs> Yes, I can. But, it, he could, but, but he could also be a candy slut. He can. Well, no, she, could. she could. She could. I, I, I'm, I'm cheap. I'm not e- I'm easy. I'm not cheap. There anyway, you go. I was just, right. There you go. But, um, but yeah, that was the, the, the interaction that came out of that. And after that, I was sitting there going, you know what? i got to experiment with this a little bit more. So we're going to be doing some testing on this device just to check. I mean, we're going to try to do some controlled work with it. But the Ovilus to me is that one device that I really wish I could say beyond a shadow that out works accurately, you know, et cetera, et cetera, because it does give a, a true voice through a dictionary. But my question is always going to be, how in the hell does a ghost know how to go into a digital dictionary and produce a word? That's true. What if the Ovilus is actually like a, it can, it's like a character detector. Like it's like around you, it says Dick. Around Kim, it said Candy Slut. Mm. Maybe you could take it with you on a date. Just randomly. <laughs> you're, you're just there and out of your pocket, you just hear whore. Just randomly. You're out of your pocket. You're like, make the decision you can, you whether you Go ahead. You can have ghost, ghost sex with the Ovilus. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that actually would come in really, really handy. You go to meet somebody, walk up, shake their hand, the obelisk gets hurt, <laughs> you walk out. Yeah, right. <laughs> a ghost sex with an obelisk. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Right there. <laughs> yeah, if I can find that audio, though, Jason, I'll send it to you. You will, you will laugh because we were recording it, and um, it, it literally just – it said my name, it called my ex-wife by name, and I had a comment about both of us. So that's one of those things where I kind of look at it now and go, you know what? I know nothing like this is ever going to be 100% accurate, but maybe there is some accuracy to this. Now, the trick, of course, would be finding out what and how you could verify that there was accuracy to it. Right. But um, but at least it gave me cause to set back and take a deeper look at an object that I'd already discredited, for lack of a better term. That's right. true. And, and thank you, silent, Tim the Silent Cow. I am the man. I am the man. <laughs> That's funny, but, you know, <laughs> since it called you a dick, hold on. I got to buy one real quick. Just <laughs> <laughs> Sold. 100% accuracy. That's amazing. But what do you think? What is your opinion on those, uh, man, those objects? Uh, I, have, I have a different of opinion. Uh, I, again, I have many opinions about different pieces of equipment. You know, do I think some, you know, could collaborate something yes um you know do i think some things aren't no of course um we just recently uh actually not me per se but my team member we were at white hill mansion um he picked up the i don't know if you heard of the new uh echo vox oh yeah kind of like yeah it's like a it's a different take on the spirit box but it's uh it bases itself off of um the ultra high frequencies off the internet rather than you know, through uh, regular radio frequency. So anyway, um, we have a tablet and we've got the the software on the tablet and we're going with it. We're just, all right, for shits and giggles, we're just going to try it out and see, you know, what happens. So, you know, we're there for a public investigation. You know, we're just trying to just have fun with, with the crowd. And we're sitting there and, like... <sighs> In the beginning, there was jibber-jabber, you know, and we are like, you know, that's great. That's radio uh, interference, you know, that's definitely radio. Um, but then as soon as, like, half of the crowd of the investigation left, it was dwindling down to a few people, like, and it got quiet. And it was, as soon as it started getting quiet, things 
were a little strange and started to really intelligently respond to some of our questions. And now you got you, you may really laugh at this, but no joke. I had many witnesses in the room and without any power of suggestion whatsoever, I asked because in the basement was known as a speakeasy uh, during Prohibition. Gotcha. So I, th- I threw some uh, alcoholic beverages out there to some questioning. And I said, would you like a beer? And in response, I get, I'd like a cold one. And wow. a few seconds later, I actually heard a burp. Like somebody actually go, Bleh. Really? And like in your, and, vo- like a disembodied voice. Right. Wow. But no, not a disembodied voice through the tablet. Through oh, the okay. App. Okay. Okay. Now, that was the first thing I thought was wild because I'm like, all right, that's interesting. And we started to, you know, continue with it and whatnot. So there's actually a train. Their tracks are not really that far behind uh, White Hill Mansion. Mm-hmm. And we start communicating with something else that's coming through, and it keeps going over uh, about an accident. There there was an accident, and it kept going over uh, certain words that were re- related to the accident. He felt terrible, you know, just different words that described how he felt. Um and he went on about being pushed and uh, pushed in front of a train, and he said, you know, he it kept like referring to the train, and I'm like, wow, I'm like, you know, the train is behind the house, and I'm like, um, it kept going on about the accident, and kept going on about the person of a name, uh, John. My team member name was John, so I thought like, you know, it's just, you know, maybe it's right. talking about my team member John, and we're like, all right, that's cool. Um, so anyway, uh, there were other things that were coming through, like police officers, which I thought was weird. Um, it kept coming through with, um, what else? Um, like I said, John, we actually, believe it or not, now I can't, you know, I have no supporting evidence of this, but we actually, what we thought we heard was a gun cocking in the background. Ooh. Like you actually hear, you know, like the, uh, the, you know, the, the hammer. You, like, the hammer, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Um, we heard that on, on the Echo Vox, and we're like, that sounds like a freaking gun. I'm like, holy cow. Wow. Um, a- anyway, later on, after having this really like interesting experience with the Echo Vox, I, I really don't know much history about White Hill Mansion before coming here. This is my first time coming to this place. Okay. Okay. I've, I've never been there before. And I'm going to be honest, I never read any history because I like not to do that. Right. I try not to go into place knowing a lot of information because if I do get something on some kind of piece of equipment and not know about it and then refer it to a, like a staff member or a historian, like it makes it better. You know, so I try not to right. do it like that. So we actually found out one of the um, att- one of the people that were there for the public investigation went to the, one of the staff members because she thought, like, what we were getting was incredible. She was asking, like, any information to the staff about the history. Turns out, two years ago, there was a man involved in an incident uh, at a restaurant down the road, ran from cops, from local police. He was being chased on the property, and um, I think they chased him far enough toward the train where he ran in front of a moving train oh. and it, decapi- it decapitated his head and they found his head like, you know, further down the railroad tracks. I knew nothing about this incident whatsoever. Wow. And 
and then um, the staff member said that the actual the name of the office the first officer that responded to the scene his name was John. Wow, that's really neat. That's interesting. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that is. Man, that would be a nice sketch. He just talked about a voice box and an app. That's that's pretty <laughs> that's that's pretty crazy. That's wild. And so, where do you get that audio box or, or Echo Vox? Excuse me, Echo. Vox. Um, I'm not really sure off the top of my head where my team member got it from. Um, there's a guy, like honestly, the original designer of it is mm-hmm. Steve Puff. However, there's okay. people who are who are taking his design and kind of like modifying it and making it into their own. Gotcha. Um, so he got it from this guy. And I'm not sure of the website, but I can get it for you guys, you know. Uh, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd yeah. be great. If it's okay. Yeah, I'd like to look at it and at least kind of crawl over it a little bit, you know. Yeah, yeah but I mean, but stuff like that blows my mind because it's like, how do you deny collaborating like those, those things coming through that related to that, that piece of information that I knew nothing about? You know? So, oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Sorry. For a moment there, I thought you were going to say something after the word about so i left stayed silent for a moment there and it threw me <laughs> out no i'm like about huh yeah no, no but yeah totally i do that sometimes I'm no like, no you're good you're good <laughs> it was just you know what we let that up as a pregnant pause we'll allow it just to let it sink in let everybody just get a feel for that no but that's really wild i i love that i love it when you can corroborate something like that you know something interesting happened to me uh similar to that and long time listeners in the show will hear that but i just want to relate this to you matt because it goes along the same veins but I have been doing an investigation of a uh, haunted Victorian mansion. It's called Victoria's Black Swan Inn now here in San Antonio. <clears throat> and uh, while we're doing the investigation, um, I always like to be the last man out because I always like to make sure everyone's okay. I have that security guard aspect where I like to make sure everyone's fine, the mm-hmm. team stays together, and they're grouped in, and I have an accounting of the team. Well, at the time, we had one of our team members, and she was taking base-level readings. And she was taking a base level reading of the out of the kitchen, uh, and the the kitchen of the Victorian mansions were actually external to the home. So if the the kitchen burned down in a fire, it wouldn't take the whole house down with it. And so we were in this uh, ex- external kitchen, and um, there's only one exit and entrance from this kitchen. And I look back behind me, and I see her. She looks up from her clipboard. She smiles at me, <coughs> and she continues uh-huh. walking uh, across the hall, just like from one door to the next. And I'm waiting for her to come out, and as I'm there. Uh, she, I feel a tap on the, on my shoulder from behind. I turn around and it's her. I'm like, wait, weren't you just, wasn't you? And I walk, I make a beeline for, for where I just saw her walk through. Absolutely no one in that, in that building, in that small kitchen building, no one was in there. No way out. All the windows were essentially painted shut. No one's really using this kitchen anymore, but, and it was wild. It was like seeing a doppelganger. And so I continued, we continued walking. I was like, that was great. I documented, wrote it down. And uh, I relayed the experience to her. And as we were rejoining the group, because it turns uh, the the homeowner was actually giving us a tour of the property and we had stayed behind to do those base level readings. Uh, When we rejoined the group, the homeowner said, and please be careful. I wanted to wait till everybody came back. Always keep track of your teams because the spirits here are known for taking on the forms and shapes of those that are actually here presently doing the investigation. And it was just a, perfect one two confirmation of what i had just you know what i mean it's one of those instances right. where you had no idea that that kind of experience happens and uh it, you know it just it's it's a great kind of confirmation it's a great feeling like similar to what you had yeah. with that yeah. john experience i love i live for those little moments when when something I, happens to you and you can substantiate it yeah that's great it's it is it's a great moment it's, it's a great awesome. feeling 
Yeah, I've heard a, I've heard a lot more that the the uh, dot what do you call that the dongle? Well, doppelganger, the doppelganger, doppelganger, Do- doppelganger. Thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I've heard that more and more often now. Like, it's becoming uh, more popular, more known. What do you guys think about that idea? Well, you know, Jason, where he's experienced one, I'd say he's probably a firm believer at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm a believer in something. Yeah, well, you know, when I was a kid reading all those books like you were doing, Matt, I mean, I'd read about a doppelganger and had read about it in passing uh, and, and never really didn't have any explanation as to cause, intent, theories as to why it may happen. They just called it a living spirit, the spirit of a living person. And I thought that, and it was just a book colloquially throwing that term out there. And I was like, cool, that's neat. And never gave it much thought at all until that day. Right, and then right. I was like, wow, that's, I pulled it from my, my memory. I was like, that's a doppelganger. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> and so essentially my knowledge on doppelgangers is limited to that single event. I honestly don't really see much research on it. Or, yeah, or or much information on it. Well, what do you what do you think about it, Rob? Doppelgangers in general. You know, I, I've heard a lot of claims, and I'm going to say this: that we have, um, as a field investigator, has been doing this for ten plus years with the team now. Um, about once or twice a year, we get this as a claim that something in the house either mimics a voice or the looks or. Um, you know, even the footprints in the, in one particular case of people that live in the home. So, you know, I'm really thinking that there may be some credibility and credence to this type of a phenomenon as far as to what it is. I'm, I'm with you. I haven't seen a whole lot of uh, look into it. It's kind of like black eyed kids. You know, we, we can believe in it. We cannot believe in it. But the truth of the matter is that it's not really been touched up on too much by the uh, community at large, per se. <laughs> so I'm thinking until the, you know, we can get a little more of an in-depth study into an area where there are known doppelgangers or claims of a known doppelganger, that we're probably just going to have to leave it up to the fact that it's a phenomenon that we can't explain. It could be related to a ghost. It could be paranormal. It could be a transdimensional rift. There's a lot of different things that it could be, a lot of different theories behind what it could be. But I've heard enough, and in your case, I'm assuming seen enough to at least believe there is some credence to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's cool. something to it. I'm just not entirely too sure. But I mean, it's it was wild. It was a really neat experience. It was one of the highlights of my investigative career, I have to say, because that was just full-bodied, freaking dead on. It was. I was convinced it was her. It was her yeah. smile and everything. Just nailed it. Had personality. I thought it was that person. And uh, yeah, absolutely wild. Um, but going going back, let me let me question you on something on this, Jason. And yeah. I don't know why I really haven't thought of this before, but it just <laughs> occurred to me. You know, I think every one of us at one time or another have been in a house by ourselves, and we've heard somebody with a familiar voice holler for our name. And I don't really think that that's a unique phenomenon that's just happened to just me. I don't think it's a unique phenomenon that's just happened to a couple of people. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that this could be a visual representation of whatever that audible response is that we're hearing, whether it be something generated by the mind itself, even though you didn't know the situation, could it have been that you maybe saw a reflection of her in a mirror somewhere in the room, something of that nature, or yeah, I'm not saying this to be no. perverted or anything. Could yeah, you have just no. been thinking about her at that moment? I mean, you know, some us guys, we have minds that wonder. They, it happens. And I'm, you can say I'm playing devil's advocate here all you want, but is it possible that that's the same type of, of a uh, phenomenon as hearing that phantom voice when you're at home that sounds like your wife or your mother or one of your kids hollering your name? 
it's it's possible, of course. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say, no, it's impossible. But, I, I mean, man, I, I wasn't exclusively thinking about her. I was just on investigation. I was looking to make sure that we were the only ones there. I turned and I we made eye contact. It wasn't that I just casually saw her. We made eye contact. She smiled, looked back down at her notepad, and continued walking across the hall to the other side of the door. And and it is this is not a, a flat surface I saw it on. She was in the middle of a long hallway. There was nothing to reflect off of and it was dark. It wasn't night. There wasn't nighttime yet, but it was dark. And and yeah, no, that's I I saw something legitimate there. I don't know what it was, but what? I saw something. Question for you, Jason. Was sure. it wearing the same clothing? Did exactly. Like have the same. It was exact. Exact. It was like it was her. It was yeah. I, I. I actually half accused her of crawling out of the window or something, and she was like <laughs> the one that pointed out they were painted shut. There's mm-hmm. no way I could have crawled out of a window, and she didn't want to go into that uh, to that to that room after a while, which I thought was kind of weird because she was the head investigator for the group, and I'm like, well, that's kind of your thing, but okay, whatever. Uh, but yeah, it, it was it was wild, and I, I really enjoy I really enjoyed the experience in general. Um, my girlfriend now Kim is giving me a hard time in the chat room. I saw that. I was going to ask. Because I ask about that. We were talking. The girl in question and myself were dating at the time. And so Kim will let me live it down whenever I bring up this incident. But I promise I'm bringing it up for paranormal reasons. I'm not bringing it up for any other. Purely scientific. Purely scientific. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But anyway, that's the only reason I bring it up. So to address uh, uh, Kim's comments in the chat room about that, she said that uh, yeah, actually it was because I was wishing that there were two of her, and <laughs> so no, it's not the case at all. Uh, here's a question for you guys: like when sure. it comes to investigations, um, what one of the things that we're actually experimenting with right now? Actually, we're coming out with our with our own web series. I don't know if I told you guys this, but um, it's going to be called Abandoned and. The project that we're doing is we're studying to see if investigators are projecting things out of our own fear. Are we are we projecting things out of our own mind uh, when it comes to paranormal experiences? Is it our brains? You know, is it the fear of our minds that are that are causing all these events? Is does it have something to do with our brain activity? Because um, there's a lot of things that we don't know about our you know, about our own brain system and how it really works. We only know like, you know, a very small percentage of it. And um, so we're kind of like getting into an investigation where we're sending our investigators, seasoned investigators by themselves to investigate alone. And we're studying to see how, you know, it takes effect on their mind. You know, are they going to start projecting experiences? Because are they going into it with with an expectation um, are you know are they are they sitting there uh, projecting things or do they really think something paranormal is going on? Um, so what are your thoughts your thoughts along uh, like fear within itself going into like a dark atmosphere? You're investigating uh, reports and when you get reports of you know staff or whoever wherever you're investigating, you know obviously you have these reports that are already embedded in your head when you do the research. So do you think it, like like the investigation is already tainted or I have thoughts on this and actually I have pretty detailed thoughts on this, but Rob, I want to know yours first, please. Cause mine, I'm, I'm going to take up a long period of time. <laughs> and I'll try to make it brief then because we are getting really, really close to that time. I know. I know it's, um, pretty, 
It's a pretty deep question. <laughs> yeah, it is actually. And you know, the subconscious mind as well as the conscious mind can play so many different levels of uh, influence onto what we see and what we do, how we feel, what we think, what we smell, what we see, what we hear. Um, I, I think that we would be foolhardy if we discounted it completely and said it could not have an impact on it. I think um, the longer that you are in this field, uh, the more of those you know, total dark lockdown situations that you're in, the less effect that would have on you. I would say you're probably a lot more susceptible to that as a newer investigator or if you're experiencing this yourself in your own home specifically – um, then you're definitely going to have a much harder uh, harder time dismissing your own internal fears into what you're experiencing and keeping it from tainting what's going on. But I do believe that even after 30-some years, you know, I get into certain situations, uh, you know, mannequins and dolls for me are not a fun thing. I don't enjoy <laughs> them whatsoever. And there's been a lot of stories on this show about what happens when I run into them. <laughs> but they tend to um, definitely uh, – increase the creep factor for me when I'm in certain places. So I could see how it could definitely have an effect on what I experience in a place. Yes. Does it make the hair on the back of your neck stand up? I don't know. Hair to <sighs> All jokes. Do gotta love I'm just, I don't know. Does it do anything to the hair on your palms? <laughs> I, 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 can, I can relate, Rob. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, Matt. Sorry. Sorry. That was directed at Rob. I apologize. Hey, hey, you know what? I'm, I've said it for years, Jason. God only made a few perfect heads. He put hair on the rest. <laughs> Well, for me, oh, man, I love this question, and I wish you had asked it earlier because we could have taken like a half an hour talking about this. But um, Okay, so for me, yes. Uh, I think that Rob has a point that you can inure yourself to certain situations and environments. You become used to it. You kind of desensitize yourself to that situation. I'm not going to be freaked out by a dark hallway. I'm not going to be freaked out by a room. But what I love about paranormal investigations, whenever I personally go on a paranormal investigation, there are two investigations going on. One, the paranormal investigation in which we're trying to catch data relating a possible haunting or experiences and phenomena that are occurring on the property. Two, I'm actually investigating all the team members. I mm. love and adore observing people's reactions to whatever environment it is we're in. Whenever what I've noticed throughout the years that I've been looking into this, or a few things, just to give you a few crib notes I, uh, from from what I've seen, um, whenever you take something that is the everyday, something mundane, something typical, and you change just a little bit, that window is just a little too small. That window is just a little too large. That hallway is just a little bit longer than the average hallway. It will instantly cause un, uh, discomfort and unease in whomever it is is in the property, regardless as to how or, or in the area, regardless as to how long you've been doing this. There is something that's always in the back of your head that's going to set off. This isn't quite right. And it will make you uncomfortable, regardless as to whether it's a sound that doesn't belong in the area, whether it is. And this is things that I've noticed over the years is um, typically an in investigation when that type of feature is present on the property. The rates of of um, of uh, instances or incidences increases in those properties. People will report more paranormal issues on that as team members. Now, point of fact, most of those are debunked. And so we can actually, and what I've seen over the years, that most of the, the evidence that pops up, quote-unquote evidence that pops up during those investigations are debunked. And it actually lends itself to the idea that the property itself, and not merely it being old, it could be a brand new place, but the property in and of itself can cause discomfort. We investigated a school once on an old team that I was in. Every window was as narrow as an arrow loop. 
I have no idea what thought process was going into that, except they were thinking <laughs> elementary school kids were going to jump out the second floor, and it was for a safety <laughs> feature, I guess. But right. every in that school, every team member uh, reported evidence, uh, more so than they would on the average investigation. And it just interested me. And from that point forward, I took a look at the, the sheer number of evidence, amount of evidence produced, and I uh, weighed it against features of the property. If you take photos of the property and take video of the surrounding location, uh, get the weather readings as well. I found it also increases during instances or nights in which it is cold uh, and windy. You know, and that's not talking about you're not talking about like uh, audio uh, anomalies that are picked up. These are visual anomalies or sensory anomalies that are being picked up that are not attributed necessarily to the wind. It's simply the presence of the slightly unusual that will increase the rates of reporting. And I love that anthropological aspect of this field of study. I always talk about it on the show here. This cool. is not just a paranormal study for me. It's an anthropological study. It talk, tells yeah. us about who we are as people. And that's yeah. what I, that part of this the, the this field that I enjoy. Yeah, that that's going to be the premise of uh, the idea of our web series. So, awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit more about the web series. So, when is it coming out, or where can we find it at? Well, we're 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 self producing, obviously, but uh, it's going to be a while because we're doing this on our own completely. Um, but we're going to be sharing it on YouTube, uh, hopefully in the near future, but I will be making announcements, uh, when we'll air our first episode. Our first episode was filmed at Selma mansion in Norristown, Pennsylvania, just recently. Nice. Um, and I'm hoping that we're going to be doing white Hill mansion, uh, which was actually, uh, recently on paranormal lockdown, uh, with Nick Roth and, uh, you know, Katrina Weidman. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to be going there, hopefully. And uh, a couple other places. So awesome. I'm hoping to, uh, you know, get some good reaction. Well, the question I was going to ask you is what else is happening in the world of, of Matthew Haas? Like what, what, what else are you doing right now? What projects are you working on? What's coming up? Where can people find more about you? Sure. Um, well, uh, you can find me uh, doing things with my team, the Island Paranormal Society, www.islandparanormalsociety.org. Um, I do have events coming up in October, uh, which I call my, my busy tour season. Uh, starts from late September all the way through November uh, before the holidays start. Um, if you're interested, we're doing a public event at a historic place called Kingsland Manor in Nutley, New Jersey. If you go on our website, on our homepage, there's a link where you can get tickets. It's only $25. We're having two events on October 14th. And on October 21st, from 7 p.m. to midnight, there'll be a presentation, historic presentation, paranormal presentation. Then we kind of let the public come in and investigate with the team and with myself. We take them around for an investigation. Nice. And then, you know, basically at the end of the night, we do a big reveal with whoever's there and go over any experiences and stuff like that. Outstanding. That sounds good. And, of course, once again, you could find more information about Matthew J. Haas over at his website, uh, which is www.paranormaltalkradio.org. A great show. Highly recommend you listen to it. You can hear wonderful guests other than Rob. He was one of the low points of the show. But, you know, always great to have another co-host or an audience. Well, I'm sure when you show up, you'll lower the bar. That'll be the new low point. I agree. Absolutely. (laughs) But you can also find more information about his group over at islandparanormalsociety.org. Was dot org correct? Yep. Okay, excellent. Islandparanormalsociety.org. Highly recommend it. Matt, it has been awesome, man. Thank yeah, you. Loved so having much. you on, buddy. 
Actually. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, guys. I really appreciate it. You know, I, it's nice to be invited. Beyond, like I always say, it's nice to be on the other side of the microphone. Yeah, totally. absolutely. <laughs> totally. Maybe one day Jason will find that out. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants me. But, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but And actually, by the way, Matt, we do reserve the right to call you back for a mix and match show in the future, like an open topic debate or something of that nature. So don't be surprised if you hear from us when we come up with a nice hot topic sure. that we'd like to have some different opinion on yeah and vice versa you guys are always welcome on our show too absolutely thank you man we'd love it i had a great time it was so much fun to to talk to people that actually knew what they were doing instead of working with this guy it was just great it was so good if you ever need a third just saying have your people call my people <laughs> <laughs> with that being said uh, jason it looks like we got another one in the can absolutely definitely want right. to do the honors on this one I can do the honors on this one. Uh, for Matt Haas and for Jason Oliva, my name is Rob Henry. I hope you guys have a wonderful night and even better tomorrow. We'll be back next Wednesday. Same time, same channel, same place. And until then, I hope you have a wonderful week. Have a good evening. Adios. Adios. Adios.